Welcome to the Cook Collective Podcast. I'm Brandon Cook, and here along with my cousin Adam, we're here to speak about our life experiences and growth through plant medicines, meditation, exercise, diet, and how it all plays a vital role in our relationships and everyday lives. Today we have two very special guests, the talented Matt and Juju from the Blood Moon Howlers. Brandon has been in the band for a few years now, and uh, I haven't really got to meet them and get to know them, but... They're a couple of very special people. We talk about everything from the music industry to the creative process to uh, passing up deals with big labels and uh, how we can just kind of keep moving forward and how you know we can create more during this time. And they really, you know, give me a lot of inspiration on being creative and productive during this downtime. The music industry is just getting completely smashed right now, but as long as you keep creating like they are, people are going to come out better on the other side. We talked a lot off the air as well, and we're going to have a couple more podcasts coming that are just going to blow your mind. So ladies and gentlemen, please get to know Matt and Juju from the Blood Moon Howlers. What's up, Blood Moon Howlers? How's it going, man? Hello. How are you guys doing? Doing good. good, man. Thanks for having us. Oh, my God. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming. So Blood Moon Howlers are the other two of Brandon's band. They're all in the same band. I'm not sure exactly whose band it is. It's all of their band, I guess. All of our band. <laughs> and uh, we wanted them to come in today and just tell them a little bit about themselves. We haven't, I haven't really got to meet you guys. So, um, and I know a lot of people out there haven't got to meet you guys. The music is awesome. There you go. Um, <laughs> this guy rips on guitar. She, her voice is unreal, <laughs> as you guys heard. I want to, and then Brandon over here just kind of brings all the magic together with that's the drums. I, I bring magic. That's all. That's what I do. That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> how how'd you guys get started? Like way back, way back, Music. like when we were kids, kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, shit. I guess I found out that. Like, my mom had been saving up for college for a second there. And then we were at a music shop one day. And uh, I don't know why we were there. My mom was always, like, kind of trying to dabble in music and stuff like that. And uh, so she's always getting, like, piano music and learning things. And um, I was, like, I think she caught me, like, staring at all the guitars, mm -hmm. you know. And she's, like, kind of, like, prodding, like, asking me about it a little bit and stuff. And we ended up kind of, like talking to the guy who worked there enough, and he was an excellent salesman, so he sold us on a guitar, actually, and they used that money that was supposed to be for college and uh, got me a guitar. Cool mom. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> How she was old always were you? very forward thinking. I was nine. Nine. And then, uh, and it was like a nylon string, like classical guitar, and I got home, and I was like, it was bullshit, <laughs> stupid thing. <laughs> and, like, you know, like, everything about it's wrong. It doesn't look cool. Like, the, you know, the classical guitars are really hard to play because of the way that the strings are. The neck has to be wider. The strings yeah. are 
off the neck further. So everything about it is, you know, it's it's easier on your fingers. Close around easier because it's like, you know, technically nylon strings, I guess, don't hurt as much. But yeah. at the same time, it's like way harder in other ways. So. But when you're nine, you have a tiny hand as well. Right, so everything was off. So I ended up getting... Um, this uh, is a Mexican-made uh, Fender Stratocaster. Cool. And fun offshoot is that that era, it was a 1994 Fender Stratocaster, and that era, like, I find all these other guitar players that have, like, um, that era of Mexican-made Stratocaster, and they're, like, all so good, you know? So I got, like, lucky with this, like, random year of, like, Strat, you know? Cool. And it was, like, you know, at the time, it was, like, 250 bucks or something like that, you know? So yeah. it was, like find so but that's that's how i started you know and it was like you know looking at uh like pictures of eddie van halen and like the first uh oh shit i forget i think the first cd we got in the house was this like bbc sessions of led zeppelin oh, and I so love that like one. that's great and like you know like it's like like that one cd it starts off it's because it's a multi-disc thing yeah so, uh, i forget which one it was that i listened to all the time but like it goes like immigrant song into heartbreaker mm -hmm. and so like that transition like anytime i hear those songs i just always hear that transition in my head oh, it's nice. like locked in <laughs> yeah, i love that one is aka the the led zeppelin like blues cover album because it's right. just like the, then the rest of the set is all blues covers i feel like right right <laughs> So it, who, who taught you how to play? Um, I had a ton of teachers. My mom was super cool about, like, like pushing the music thing, you know, and, the, and she saw that I was, like, super interested in, into it and stuff. So she, she supported that a good bit in certain ways, you know. So she, she was finding you in, instructors, things yeah, like that? Yeah, I had a lot of different instructors. So it was, like, there's, like, a local music shop, um, but the, the more interesting ones were just the random people she would find. Like, mm. there's some guy playing in a coffee shop growing up, and she, like, she's like, hey, will you teach my son? And so I'd be, like, taking lessons for, like, a couple months from this random dude, like, oh, out of a coffee cool. shop who just, like, she saw, like, playing Nirvana or something, you know? And, um, or, like, uh, she had this uh, friend's son who was, like, um, pretty gifted on the guitar, had a good ear and stuff like that. So, like, I took lessons from this guy for a little while. And, like, so I have all these, like, those are my favorite teachers, I think, that I ever had are these, like, random people that she would find because they didn't necessarily have, like, music theory they would teach. Like, one of my favorite things that I ever learned was from one of the random guys that she found that was, like, he was, like, the like on the last day, you know, he, like, he ended up, like, moving to Portland or something like that. So, like, one of the last things he said to me was, like, uh, make sure you listen to music very analytically. He's like, that's the best way to learn. And like that phrase that he said to me has like just like made its way into so many different things for me, like in life too, but like just like with music and like, and just trying to form your opinions about music and trying to like, you know, learn stuff. You just like, when you listen to music analytically, that can just mean so many different things. You know, you can listen to some technique, you can listen to, uh, song structure, you can listen to the way that people are laying, layering instruments, you know, it's just, it's just endless, like, when you just take that simple approach or something, and that was one of the best lessons I think I ever got, and it was just some random dude, not That's, anyone who was schooled in music at all. Yeah, but your mom had an eye to be able to spot these people, and she was pro proactively doing it. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah pretty neat. Yeah, how, what, what year was this? How old are you? I, uh, I was born in 87, and that, I mean... Mid nineties, late nineties. Yeah, late nineties. I think it must have been. Where Where did you grow up? 
uh, Newbury Park, California. I was born in the Valley, but I was I was raised mainly in Newbury Park. California. Where's, where's Newbury Park? It's uh, just a little bit more north of um, Thousand Oaks area, okay. or or a little bit south from Ventura. Okay, so you're still in, you're still Southern California. Pretty oh much. yeah, yeah, all my yeah. life, yeah. Wow. Wow, so you're bred stoner Californian. Well, I hear that. <laughs> <laughs> Skater, stoner, yeah, the whole deal, yeah. Damn it. Uh, so that's, that's kind of cool. So your mom's out technically looking for guitar gurus for you. I don't think she was like... Or she would just stumble like, across She them. wasn't like on some like, you know, quest to find like guitar instructors. I think she just kind of like would notice it, unless I'm wrong. We should call her in here right now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. She was like, no, I went to that open mic on purpose because I heard that guy yeah, was a right. great guitar teacher. <laughs> That's such an important thing we were saying about the lessons because I remember I didn't know any theory or anything growing up because my, my first lessons were just like uh, a guy I had, his name was Rick, down in, in Redlands. He basically just taught me how to listen and to jam. Mm -hmm. and I didn't really know theory until mm -hmm. I moved to L.A. Matt and I went to the same music school for college, and I got my ass handed to me with, like, what the fuck is a paradiddle, you know, or whatever. <laughs> and, but I think that's such an important trait because it's so easy in music to get caught up in the, in the more mathematical aspect of it as opposed to the soulful aspect of it. Mm -hmm. yeah. So how, how old were you with your first band? <laughs> 12 or 13. That's cool. Yeah. We were called uh, Taiwan ROC because uh, we found a set of sunglasses, like cheap sunglasses or something like that. And like it said, Taiwan ROC. And we we're like, that's our fucking band name. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's cool. <laughs> that's cool. Wow. So, was your, it was, your, were you raised by your mother and your father? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it was. I mean, it was my mom. Yeah. Yeah, if I'm being blatant, cool. honest here. <laughs> cool. Yeah, it was like my my mom taking me to ba baseball practice, kind of sa same thing. And there was always something that I else that I wanted to get into, and be like, yeah, just, I don't have so much time in the day, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, that's cool. That's really cool. Cause I always wonder, like, I want to put my son into guitar lessons or whatever it is that he is attracted to, but I'm like, what is that age? Where, how do we do it? How do we know he's into it? I mean, you're going to know if he's into it or not, I guess, but... It's know. different with everybody. Yeah, Because I, yeah, I sure. feel like at a young age, I took... My mom got me piano lessons when I was young. I hated it. It was so boring. Mm -hmm. But I was like five, you know? And then by the time I was like nine or ten, then I was really wanting to play bass. So I wonder if it is like a, an age thing as well of like at a certain age you don't want to do it because it kind of seems like more school or something. And then at that age, like that part of your brain really starts clicking where you're just like drawn to an instrument naturally without your parents kind of making you. Cause I've always been a little jealous of like our friends who's like their parents like forced them to take piano from a young age or something. And so they just naturally shred. <laughs> they hated it as a kid, but now they're really glad they had that. So it's a yeah. weird balance. How much of that instrument that you play, you think is part of wanting to create an image for yourself? Oh, because you because your favorite musician plays drums or your oh, favorite that was musician plays guitar. Mm -hmm. Well, not one hundred percent. I don't know. I I don't know how much it was like me striving for something. I just know that I was always like, I just like felt like when I would like see pictures of like Eddie Van Halen, Jimmy Page, and yeah. like, that's fucking badass. Like I want <laughs> yeah. to yeah. be like yeah. that. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. That's cool. Yeah, okay, that's super cool. I think for me it was like I was drawn to the the drums and then we like found a bunch of dudes that played drums. I was like, those dudes are badass. And it made me want to get into it more. Mm. But it was like, there was already like an initial draw to it. 
I don't know. Did you did you see Van Halen then want to play guitar? Do you start playing guitar and then see Van Halen and be like that? I can't remember honestly. I I think it was like it must have been seeing it first and then yeah. like kind of being drawn to the, the music piece and then getting into the instrument, I think. That's cool. And you I had a diff a way different experience. So um Gigi's my, one of the ones that Brandon's <laughs> jealous of. <laughs> uh, so my grandma was a singer. Wow. And she used to sing. She was like a nightclub singer in San Francisco. And um, she did a bunch of really cool stuff. She was like one of the first people ever on MTV. And really? she came up with this whole really cool like teaching method called Even You Can Sing. And it was all like about numbering the teeth. And she had this. actually So interesting. Like I, I don't get this, but, like, the but I sort of do. But like she had this like method of like. Like literally, like on her little, like little diagram, from what I understand, is like the t individual teeth were numbered, and like you'll hear commonly in vocal lessons, like you know, like you're you're always trying to sing like through your head. Or it's all about this like placement, like you're trying to like sing through your nose, or you're singing like, over the nose, yeah. through your mask, and, and and so like her <laughs> method was built all around the teeth. Mm -hmm. So it was like certain vowels, or like once you're getting to like a certain part in your range, you're supposed to be like. That kind of like how... Yeah, I, and I didn't ever get really that into it because so I started singing when I was two years old. It was like literally, so I have three sisters and my oldest sister was born and my grandma, because my, my uh, mom and her sister and brother weren't into music at all. So my grandma, once my mom had my um, oldest sister and she was into it, my grandma was so excited. So she like immediately started teaching her and getting her, you know, into like she used to teach. We, <clears throat> um, I was born up north in San Jose and she used to teach all the people around there and um, competitions and pageants and fairs and festivals and everything were like really big in that area we were in. And she used to teach like everyone in the area so they all knew who she was. And um, when my first, my oldest sister was born, she was like so excited. So she got her all into it. And then my second sister was born and she was, you know, immediately put in, like my grandma started teaching her how to sing and they were like a duo. And then I was born, it was like a trio. And then my um, younger sister was born, and she was like, oh, my God, Cortez, like the Jackson 5, you know, and so she just, we were all into it, but um, uh, when I was, like, literally two years old, I could barely talk, and I'm already, like, I have pictures of me by the piano. She's already teaching me how to do vocal skills and warm-ups uh, and stuff, and I was already into competitions. We have this great picture of, like, Juju, like, standing <laughs> on the side of the piano, like, just, like, adorable little kid while our grandma's like da 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 yeah. That's cool. And I was I won my first competition. I was like three years old. The trophy was like bigger than me. Wow. <laughs> so um What what so was your grandma's name? Helen. Helen uh, her stage name was Helen Florenz. Helen Florenz. Mm hmm But um so she, my grandma was just like she never really got to, I guess, she kind of, like, gave up on her dreams and stuff that she had when she met her husband, and I think he wanted her to be, I don't know the full story, but he was kind of like, if you want to be with me, I want you to be, like, my wife and my mother to my kids. I don't want you doing this music stuff. So yeah. when we were born, she was kind of like, oh, I can continue my dreams through you guys. So it was a little bit of this kind of pressure um, to kind of live out, like, what my grandma never really got to, like, do. So that was a little interesting. But um, it's hard to, I don't know. I'm super grateful with how much support we had and how much my parents were, you know, really driving us to learn. I mean, I this, my, my so my grandma was teaching us, like, every day she got us, like, you know, 
we were kind of like we would sing and dance or there's like, like different like uh, routines and you know all these different like shows that we would like medleys and variety shows kind of stuff so we started learning all different types of genres and I was playing piano when I was six and my parents were really adamant about lessons and got to take from a bunch of different really cool teachers like at one point I was taking from Seth Riggs <clears throat> who's like Epic. He taught like, like Michael Jackson. He he wow. wrote like a book with Frank Sinatra he and taught like Anthony oh, Kiedis, no Stevie Wonder. I don't know all these wow. amazing people. He came up with the whole cool concept Ray too. Ray Charles. Did you say Ray Charles? Oh, already? Ray Charles. Epic dude. Wow. Um, and so I was really fortunate to take from a lot of really cool people. I taught. I learned piano from um, Mike Maros, who was the piano player from the Beach Boys. Oh, cool. And he was the one that got me Jeez. into, because I would get really upset with my teachers because I was like, I just want to, like, I'd take these songs. And I was like, I want to break it down. I want to make them out and sing it, you know, and make it jazzy or whatever. I was super into jazz growing up, like um, Billie Holiday and Ella cool. Fitzgerald. And um, I was just like, I just want to make it like this. And some of my teachers were like, no, you're not supposed to do that. And they would get really upset with me. And I was like, I just want to write this song and this thing and, like, um, when I started taking from Mike Murrows, he was like, yeah, yeah, let's do this. And, like, he was getting all into the theory with me, and he would break everything down and show me how to play it and, like, do licks and, like, cool stuff with it, you know. And he was really all about it. And I was like, this is what I need to be doing. Because a lot of my, you know, piano teachers, they want to do they want to do the structured, like, classical training and stuff sure. and learn how to read music and everything, which later I got really into that. But at first I was just, like, just super wanted to, like, play chords and sing and just get really into my it's own cool that he worked with you so creatively like that. Yeah, he was yeah. so awesome. What, um, what what was you you said your your grandma was one of the first ones on M MTV. What did she mm -hmm. do? I need to find out more about that. Cuz I I'll get back to I you. mean, I'm old enough. I started watching MTV in the like yeah. early days when I was a little kid. Yeah. It was still like brand new. That's pretty cool. I know. I need to find There's a lot of mystery with my family. I'll find like certain things out and then I feel like I don't know the whole story about all the things, so I got to ask that's more questions. Rev, that's re revolutionary. Yeah, yeah. Sure. It was Her thing was called Even You Can Sing, um, but so I don't know how much information there is about all that. But You've tried to look it up before, but yeah, we can't really seem to find I'm sure there's. I'm sure I could find out more. But um, So when she passed away, um, she passed away when I was uh, six years old, and um, so my parents moved us down to like Los Angeles area to try and like make it big. Oh, cool. So they like, my, my dad had a car lot that he owned and my mom had a salon, she's a hairdresser and they just sold everything and just Whoa. moved down here. And we started singing on street corners and busking everywhere. And we were just like the Andrew sisters. They'd wow. come out and do these little acapella things. And um, we sang on like Third Street Promenade a bunch and City Walk and, um, and a bunch of people would come up to us at that time because it wasn't um, social media and all that stuff was no one's using that yet. So people would come up and you know hand us their business card, hey call me and you know, um, and some of them were just weirdos, <laughs> but yeah. a lot of them were legit. <laughs> <laughs> Meeting weirdos on the yeah. corner. <laughs> but um, some of them were really legit. Like we got some really cool like contacts out of that. We got you know we meet this person that was a manager that ended up you know, introduce us to this person, would lead us to this agent, to this thing, to that thing. And then we ended up, um, like, we got a deal with Disney. At one point, we are going to be Disney kids. Wow. And a deal with Hollywood Records. But everything would just, like, kept falling through. Like, mm -hmm. I think that's when, like, 9-11 happened. It was, like, around that time. And then everything just kind of fell through with, like, the music industry just, like, shut down. And then, I don't, it's, like, 
stuff like that. So we had like, um, I think we had like seven or eight different like TV shows like written about us that they wanted to pitch and, and use. Like the, um, oh, what's that? I can't remember her name right now, but she created uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. She was like one of the producers on it. And that was like but reality TV. But she wanted, wanted to be, yeah, they wanted yeah. to do this kind of like, because we were this like singing group, but they were had such a big age difference. And so they kind of were like, what could we, but our story was really interesting and stuff. And they really liked our personalities and everything. So they're like, oh, we could do this like kind of TV show about you guys like trying to make it and stuff. So we had a, a few different like, and like MTV reality, like MTV wanted to do a reality TV show about us. They actually like wanted to sign the whole thing. It was before the Osbournes and they offered us a deal for $30,000 to like do this thing to start it. And our, um, manager at the time was like oh reality tv shows aren't going anywhere and they turned it down Ooh. but mtv like followed us around for a week like documenting everything and like getting ready to do it and then it was they're like they're not gonna go anywhere until they turned down but then it was like it might be part of the huge <laughs> what's that manager's <laughs> name that guy's probably out of work yeah <laughs> wow but um so we had a bunch of really crazy um stuff going on when i was growing up and uh so I was like in and out of school, and like I'd be homeschooled, and they put me back in school, and then homeschooled, and then, but um, yeah, we just went through a lot of different like kind of phases with that, and um, like we got to sing, I mean, we got to do a bunch of cool stuff. We got to like open for Coolio. <laughs> Hell yeah! Like, Paradise. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to think of all the wacky things. More and more stuff comes up. I'll just be talking. I'm like, oh yeah, this happened because I was so young, and then everything kind of just like. Things would fall through, and then my sisters were getting older, and they're like, ah, oh, we don't want to do it anymore. Because we didn't really, like, my parents, everyone was kind of like, you guys have to sing together. You guys are so awesome, and then, like, your grandma wants you to do this, so do it. So it was kind of, it wasn't like, can we can we be in a band? Can we sing together? It wasn't like that mm -hmm. kind of thing. It was more of, like, living yeah, on our kind of pushed into something like that. Yeah. Kind of like everyone eventually goes their own way. Yeah, so it was a little bit different. Yeah, well, they sold everything to, get, to bring you yeah, guys down here, so it's <laughs> probably a little bit of... Investment yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. on their part, like watching yeah. their investment break up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's so weird because I mean, you know, especially for people that are young in LA, you like kind of hear similar s stories a lot. And we talk so much about life path choices, mm -hmm. like like if if you would have gotten that reality show, yeah. how different everything would have been. And we're always laying back on the like that would have sucked. Yeah. Like, I'm I'm so happy that none of that stuff worked out because that wasn't what I was meant to be doing. It's pretty amazing that they sold all their stuff and you get an offer like that and they mm -hmm. they let the guy turn it down. Yeah, I mean, my parents didn't know anything about the music industry. They just wanted us to do really well, but they didn't it. know. And I think that was the main thing that they would just make decisions off of like just emotion and trying to do the right thing, but it just they didn't have the know how, and so it's a real hustle. It is, yeah. Oh, and, and looking at something that's brand new, like reality TV. Like if you could imagine a world yeah. without reality TV and then someone like tells you like about reality TV and then you're like, who the hell wants to watch something about regular life, you know? I mean, yeah. I get it from that point. Like like that show Big Brother. Yeah. That, they just literally have cameras on in a house. Like mm -hmm. prior to reality TV, if you would have pitched me on the fucking, like, I don't watch that. <laughs> yeah. We were, I was... I was talking about, I was invited to be part of a reality show in like mid-2000s. It was going to be called Velcro Valley. It was about three apparel companies. One was a big apparel company, kind of a dominant. One was trying to reinvent itself, and there was a, a new company, which was mine. 
and it, it was it just didn't the producer didn't feel it had enough drama or something which I'm kind of yeah. I'm kind of glad it didn't happen but Do you, I, I it would have been a, fun yeah I had some friends that went on those like not the bachelor but similar dating shows and it's so funny hearing the stories of like the drama they create you know so oh, yeah. me, like it's fill these girls with booze and then like the producer would be like hey have you talked to so-and-so like some girl I'm like no like Oh, they were saying this and that, like just starting <laughs> shit. Just so they're saying you're a bitch. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like stuff like that, dude. They like, just have people walking around in a devil costume yeah, and like no. an angel costume, <laughs> just like on either side. Dude, that Hollywood. guy, he's been talking nothing but shit on you. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's what's so crazy because you, you know, you see people talk shit on Justin Bieber, Macaulay Culkin. You're like, can you imagine being that young and having that kind of power? Everyone's saying yes to you, everyone's caning to you in like a developmental age yeah. where you don't know no. All of them. So that's pretty cool, like, that Macaulay Culkin, like, has a huge sense of humor about the whole thing now. Yeah. yeah. He does. Yeah. yeah. He's awesome. I love following him on, like, Instagram and stuff. He's it's, great. It's so funny. I, it's got to be crazy. I mean, we've, we've watched Home, Home Alone six times already in the past two weeks. Sebby loves it. He's not even tweeted <laughs> yeah. it. He just lo- he loves it. I don't, I'm like, how do you get this? Okay. Yeah, Matt, <laughs> it's one of Matt's favorites. I still haven't seen it. Like ever, ever. Well, I just don't watch movies. What are you talking about? I know it's so stupid. That's like not seeing. (laughs) That's that's, so stupid. That's like not seeing a Christmas tree. I know. I told him because he has he has the Disney Plus subscription thing, and we're using it more than he does. Yeah, I just watched The Simpsons on it. That's basically it. I was like, it's on there. Just watch. Home Alone's a national treasure. Dude, it's just for me. It's like the time commitment. Like the sticky gotta, bandits, man. You gotta spend two hours in front of the TV. So yeah, when yeah. people talk about the sticky bandits, oh. you just don't know what yeah, they're talking yeah. about. Dude, most references people make, I don't get it because oh they're usually God. movies, and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I haven't seen it. Like I've never seen Pulp Fiction. Everyone gives me shit about that. Yeah, this mm. is the part of the band we don't talk about in public. <laughs> I've never seen Pulp Fiction. No, and I, 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 I feel like now I'm to the point where like I don't want to see it just to piss people off. Well, also but, uh, at this point being so, <laughs> well, at this point being so worked up too, it's not even going to be. Yeah, it's like, not. It's Don't like watch it now. You'll, you'll, yeah, it's just going to be like disappointing because it's like everyone's hyped it up for the past thirty years for me, and I haven't seen it. Oh, you and it's an we'll old do? movie at this point, so yeah. it's like it's going to move way too slow for our attention oh, yeah. span these days. We should. We'll start talking know. a bunch of shit about one. the movies for a little while. Give us like six months. We're low just expectations. Gonna, like, yeah, we're going to lower everything and then like <laughs> kind of reset. It's funny with movies and music. Like, there's been so much old music. I wish I could go back and hear for the first time, Ugh. like the yeah. Misfits. I wish yeah. I, I wish I could hear the in Misfits the 70s? for the first time. Like, you know, did I you wish I could hear hearing Last Caress in the early '70s. Yeah, like those words, and you just be like, they can say this shit the, on a record. The Stooges yeah. in the late '60s, yeah. early '70s, like that shit was wild. First time you hear Sabbath. Sabbath, yeah. How fucking heavy that would have been. Oh, we were we were listening to it at, at your guys's house, and I. I forget what song he put on, and I think it hit it was, me. It was Black Sabbath, like those songs. Oh, yeah, songs. And but it's it just like, hit me. Sometimes you hear songs in a way that you hadn't heard it before, and it hit me in that moment. I'm like, dude, this is heavy as shit. I always knew it was heavy, but like Sabbath. that thing of imagining hearing that come out in... 1970, 1970? I think. That yeah. riff. Ball. It was wow. the fr- it was first Sabbath album. Was was it 68, I think? 69? Maybe. I, I, I think thought it was, it was 1970, but and that could be wrong. Stooges, sure. I think, were 60... Late 60s, also. Yeah. Like to hear the Stooges for the first time, like, what the fuck? People, it just like sent, it was like gar- garage punk. Yeah. But well, with, and think but about with soul. Going from like the Beatles or something, like really 
lame. Polish. <laughs> yeah, Matt doesn't right like the beautiful image. Like, that's another thing we don't talk about. Yeah, like, I yeah. like like eight Beatles songs. So. Yeah. <laughs> I like Toast Acid Beatles. Uh, <laughs> right, right. I, I like the Beatles. Rubber Soul has like. Rubber Soul is the things. only one I really I like. like yeah, for sure. I grew up yeah. listening to Rubble. Rubble. Rubble Soul. Rubble Soul. Rubble, Rubble Soul. But yeah, like the beat, I want to hold your hand or something. And then the Stooges, like. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking like yeah. I want to I want to be your dog or something comes out <laughs> like with that fuzz tone in the beginning you just be like yeah freak like, people out yeah like, I mean who are the dudes that were just like oh Sabbath Stooges that's it driving driving vans right yeah right. well we talked so much about bikers. how uh, when you're growing up there's like a a club that you feel kind of like a safety net in being like liking a band so if you're like into punk then you have like the punk community kind of like to fall back on or matt like was talking about like being a metalhead growing up so you're like you know someone's like making fun of you, you're like well fuck you i listen to metal kind yeah of it was like my whole self-esteem you know someone be like you're fucking like lame or something you'd be like Psh, i'm a metalhead like fuck you like i don't know it was just like gave you that like strength or gave something. you that edge yeah that's that's <laughs> how we that's how we were about p- punk rock yeah, yeah. It was, it was, we used to go to punk show. I always all saw the those time. two worlds as like the same thing. I know. Similar, similar mm-hmm. for for sure. And my my school was all divided by by race. It was like a little prison almost. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a prison system. So all the all the white boys were all hash. They listened to Metallica, Guns and Roses, and then there was the punk rockers. Us guys with, that we were like skateboarders, like a like a kind of a subculture, mm-hmm. and then. But we also listened to hip hop, where um. the like hash dudes were like, "Fuck that," you know. Yeah, like they, yeah. they didn't like it, and so then there was like the Mexicans and the black dudes. You know, they were into their to hip hip hop mostly. But it was funny how it was segregated even back then. I mean, I'm talking like junior high when I was, it was in the '80s. I mean, I would have a. I remember one of my hash buddies caught me with a with a, a N N W A tape. He's like, "What's this shit?" <laughs> I'm all, well, this is fucking sick, dude. Yeah, this is fucking heavy too. <laughs> yeah. Well, you haven't heard it yet. He's yeah. like, oh, whatever. I was like, oh, cool, man. Well, that early hip hop stuff is like so heavy. Yeah, I, I, I always kind of uh, floated around with all that stuff a lot. Like I, I I started with punk rock before metal, but it definitely went like punk rock into metal, and then. I wasn't ever super into hip hop, but there was definitely stuff that I was like shown from friends that I was always like, "This is." Well, what awesome. I what I love yeah. is like because to me now is like the term "heavy" when you're talking about music is just like this like aggression to it, but not like an ang- necessarily anger aggression, just this like emotional, energetic, just like oh. Uh. So when yeah. you listen to Howlin' Wolf, you get that. Oh, when you listen yeah. to early Wu Tang or NWA, you get that. When you listen to like early Metallica, you get that. You know, so it's like it's genre fluid, but it's like it's more just like what song is promoting from like a sense of like these people have to get something out and that's like their medium to get it out and you that just feel, feel it, it if it makes that if it makes you make face. that face yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. that's heavy yeah <laughs> <laughs> could be done with a harp for all we know as long as it makes you go like like oh <laughs> so so who's what band is the birth of heavy metal is oh it, fuck is it well i mean Metallica. well i just saw this great like little meme like uh that was like it's like Splinter from the Ninja Turtles for people who don't know what that is. But like, and and he and it's like Splinter has like this blues written over him, right? Yeah. Oh, and then yeah. and then it's the Ninja Turtles and uh like like while well, Splinter's older and they're all kind of like walking like holding hands and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then like the Ninja Turtles backs have like metal 
rap, like fucking uh, all the different genres that like basically came from like blues and shit. Mm -hmm. So I would say like first heavy metal is blues. It's all fucking blues. Like, Didn't the term come from be... that heavy metal thunder? I've heard Steppen a few Wolf. things. Yeah, Steppenwolf. the term, I think. Okay. But then I've also heard like like Zeppelin, like it was like it's like heavy metal, like it's like like a Zeppelin falling falling from the sky okay. or something. I don't know. There's like a few things in that like little lore of, you know. Because I would always say sa I would think Sabbath. In, in the in the way we I'm know not, metal now. I'm not mm. like super well versed on it, but if when I think of the earliest, I would probably think of Sabbath. But talking about blues, that that was like the the original kind of hardcore, huh? Mm. Well, when you hear like you know Muddy Waters or Howlin' Wolf or these guys with like their or like Lil Walter with like distorted harmonica and distorted amps because it was being played so loud. BB King, so good. Well, the first distortion tone Lovely. ever recorded was um, Howlin' Wolf, and it was just like uh, they were in the studio and they had these little uh, were supposed to be practice amps. They weren't meant to be even played live or whatever. But uh, and that was like what they had. I think is how the story goes. And they just turned it up all the way to make it work with the band and it just distorted just because it's like tubes and everything's blowing up and like the producers were like this isn't gonna work and he was like fuck that like this is like awesome you know and that was like the first birth of distortion you know so oh, maybe cool. howlin wolf was the first like right the godfather yeah. of metal i don't know it's <laughs> so weird because like you hear like like even like a Beethoven song or something like that. And if you translate that to like <laughs> yeah. electric guitar with distortion, right. all of a sudden that shit's fucking metal. So it's like for sure. Metal's been going on for a long time. I don't know. Wow. Think about that. Think about writing Be Beethoven music in when when was that? I knew at one point Baroque in my life. Era. Um, he was post Baroque. Yes, yeah, the end of the Baroque era you had uh no, I'm gonna start forgetting all this. It's not my my forte is not classical music, but I appreciate it. What what year would that have been written? Like, do you have an idea? Sixteen. I don't have an idea. Now, <laughs> Quick Google. Sixteen. I gotta sound like a smart musician. Um, I thought you guys went went to music school. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't pay attention. Because <laughs> um, I listened to some some of that stuff, and some of it oh. is the. Um, so, oh, it's much, much. He died in 1827. So it was a, later 1700s. than I thought. Yeah, late, late 1700s. Been mm. composing early 1800s. One of them died really young, right? Was it Be Beethoven? Mozart, or was it I think. Mozart. Yeah, yeah he, he was the partier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he liked that red wine. Wow. And like, I feel like he, he didn't die from partying at all. Uh, he died from like some disease going around at the time or something. Syphilis or something, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the party? You know, he loved that wine and syphilis, yo. People die from Classic syphilis. musician. Was <laughs> it dying from an STD? Like, <laughs> like, like something like that? Like, Jesus Christ, poor, poor people. Yeah. No sanitation. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't really then. a poor person, but. Well, I think Mozart specifically, I think, kind of was. Was he? Because he um, so the way that it worked back then um, was actually they would do concerts and, you know, like write songs for the king and all that kind of stuff. But really how they made their money was teaching okay. at that time. And so, that, like, that was, like, what the concerts mainly were for, besides, obviously, pleasing, like, whatever royalty and stuff. But then uh, they would get students, and that's how they would make their, like, living on a daily basis or whatever. And Mozart was really against teaching because he was, like, it takes me away from, like, my writing and all that kind of stuff. And so he was actually always very poor. 
Oh, interesting. Yeah, kind of like I found that out like semi recent. He was only thirty five. Yeah. It didn't didn't say syphilis, but he had a uh, swelling pain and vomiting, so gnarly gnarly illness. Not to mm-hmm. you know start shit about Mozart contracting a bunch of STDs or anything. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> False. We'll <laughs> <laughs> get flagged when we post this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get snoped. <laughs> yeah. That's the clickbait right there. Mozart syphilis question mark. <laughs> Tune in today. <laughs> so how did you guys start the Blood Moon Howlers? So that's kind of, okay, so should we go all the way back to when we first met? When? Let's do the abridged version okay. where... So, are, you, wait, wait, are, are you guys married? Yes. We are, yeah. Awesome. Yes. I didn't know at first. I, uh, awesome. I didn't know if they were brother and sister or married. Because oh. when we... When we <laughs> yeah. And I was like... I guess you found out when you saw certain gestures. Still, I was like, I don't know. Tommy walked in on us having sex. And I was like, I still don't know. With all the weird porn going around with all the stepsister and all that shit. People are into some interesting things these days. So, you know, I don't judge. Because when we're like in band, like when we're doing band stuff or band mode, we like, when we first started working together, because so, okay, so I'll just give you a real quick story on, like we met when we were nine and 11. And um, he was... Uh, Matt was really good friends with my like neighborhood. Uh, we had like a family that we were close to in the neighborhood, and he would be just over there all the time. And they were skateboarding and cool. um, skateboarding and listening to punk rock. Yeah, wow. and we were too. I was too shy to talk to him. He actually was. Uh, his first girlfriend was the one of the uh, kids that lived in that neighborhood, and she was like my friend. And so uh. that was like her first kiss. I remember she was like, "I kissed Matt." This whole thing, but uh, he has a picture of like. Her and him in the middle and me, and he's like, my first and my last. <laughs> but we didn't. We it's, didn't. it's framed in their house. Man, <laughs> man ahead of his time. <laughs> so, uh, but um, we never talked back then because I was too shy. But um, we met later on because uh, I worked at a studio in Camarillo, and um, he actually knew my brother-in-law before my sister and my brother-in-law even started dating. And we were doing this, um, we would do these like Halloween shows and Christmas shows and all stuff at the studio. And um, my brother-in-law asked Matt to be in the show. And then we like, um, I didn't even realize he was the same kid that I met like back then because he looked so different and stuff. He didn't have the beard and hair when he was nine? He didn't have the beard and the hair. (laughs) No, I had like the classic like 2000s um, bleach tips, spiky hair. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, so we were playing music, and then right at that time, um, the band that I was in was, we had a show booked at the House of Blues in Hollywood, which isn't there anymore. But um, our whole, like, backing band, like, Remember Shelly gave us a piece out. of it? Yeah, I, we have a piece of the building, actually, when they demolished it. <laughs> That's cool. Um, <laughs> it's, it's really, like, kind of silly feeling, because it's just, like, this, like, shitty piece of metal. <laughs> it's, like, could be anything. You're not, yeah. not really sure. The, the House of Blues, I promise. <laughs> You can just sell pieces of the House of Blues on the side of the road. You just cut up old fences and shit. In front of it, what is there now? This is from the chain link fence that was around the House of Blues. Right? I, made, torn down. I made keys out of the, the walls of the House of Blues. Would you like to buy one? You could flag down all the like, movie star home tours and like, you know, go up and sell it to them when they're right. at red lights there on it's the It's actually just street. like this sharp piece of metal, like shard thing. Like That's a full on hustle. You'd be like, kid, sure. guys, guys could be like, I have a piece of Michael Jackson's uh, mailbox. <laughs> People right. would buy it. People in Hollywood would they buy would. it. They would buy this it. Is, this is a pendant of yeah. Michael Jackson Dude, made of his mailbox. I always wonder because, you know, we we both went to school in Hollywood and so we'd see all these families 
walk, you know, there on vacation. I always wanted to ask him, like, so what do you think? You know, because I don't know. I don't know what people have this <laughs> idea of, like, coming to visit Hollywood or what they actually see besides the Hollywood sign. And I'm always like, it's got to be kind of disappointing. How about these golden streets, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of <laughs> Actually, like, when we first moved down here when I was really young, I thought the streets were going to be paved in gold. My dad was like, the streets will be paved in gold. Like, I remember thinking that when I walked uh, down in, and I was like, these aren't gold streets. Right? There's <laughs> gum all really over the side. There's, there's <laughs> syringes and dirt everywhere. It's not gold. Why is that man peeing right there? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but, so, yeah, so, like, right as um, the Halloween show is ending and stuff and our band, like, dropped out and like um quit on us uh for the house of blues um it was i had a band with my sister so after my my other sisters were kind of like fuck this we're out and we're done with this band or whatever my little sister and i kept going and we did our own little band for a while and so um that um yeah so they dropped out so she's like let's ask matt if he'll you know want to like fill in but he was in like seven or eight bands at the time i was like he's way too busy there's no way but she's no like, sleep. let's just call more than, him. More, more than one band a week, a day of the week. Huh? <laughs> yeah. uh, so then he's like, yeah, 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 sure, I'll do it. So he filled in, and we played with him at the House of Blues. But then um, after that, we got along really well, and we started, like, jamming together and stuff. And um, just uh, and my sister and I were kind of, like, taking a break. We were just kind of like, let's just try doing, like, a solo. Like, we, we never really tried, like, just kind of being, like, a, like, doing stuff on our own. And I was like, I really want to get into, like, what I was writing at the time. And um, so... We ended up, Matt and I ended up starting like jamming together and working together. And it's kind of interesting because of like all the stuff I went through, like with music and just where I was at, I was like just really in like kind of a bad place with everything. And I was like kind of thinking yeah, about like quitting. When I first quitting. met Juju, like she, I was like literally had to ask the question. I was like, do you even like music or have you just been doing this since you were a kid? Mm-hmm. I was like, it's totally okay if you do not like music. And then she had to like take a week and like, you remember that? Like you yeah, had to take yeah. this week and just like pretend that she wasn't a musician for a week. What made you think that? What part? What made you think that she didn't like music? Or it, what, doubting it? Everything at that time felt so forced and stressful. Like was everything that like, she was saying like was just out of yeah. this like fearful perspective. I never had took like the chance to really or the time to really like develop what I really wanted or to find out what who I was like as an artist or what I wanted to say or what I wanted to like just do like it was all kind of like this this weird like pressure that was put on me for so long where it was like people would be like you're so good like you have this gift and you have to use it and if you don't it's like you're like a failure or like you're like disgracing your gift kind of thing you know because when when I was born I was like I just came out like just like I had this crazy big voice and it was Mm -hmm. like just it was different than when my sisters were born. It was like they kind of took time to develop, but my voice was just like it was. It was almost like you have to use this kind of thing. And so yeah. I just kind of lost touch with the whole purpose of like just why and just I don't know. I was really lost at that point. Yeah, and I, for, I forget if there was any one thing yeah, that stuck out. I just know that we had been talking a lot, and yeah. just something in me was just like, I feel like you need to be okay with the idea of questioning like this or something like yeah. and that way you can know or something like for sure, whether you feel like you want to do this or not or something. Cause I could see how you'd get burned out on things. I was similar in my business with clothing when I'm doing private label stuff all the time and I'm designing for retailers and we're designing cool shit, but we're doing it for them, for them. You know, they kind of give me direction on what they want. I design stuff and we make it for them versus designing whatever the hell I want for my own brand and doing my own stuff, which gives me way more energy. It gives me way more mm-hmm. creative flow and just 
get, gets me out of bed in the morning like, yes, I can't wait to get in because this is coming out and that's coming out. And mm -hmm. I would imagine a life of music would be similar to, to that where you're doing what other people are want you to do. Yeah, and it was kind of that whole mentality of like growing up of like, what do you want them to do kind of thing. Like these four sisters that sing and play and dance and we did a lot of like cover songs and a lot of just, you know, you know, whatever you want them to do, they can do kind of thing. Like, we're kind of like dancing monkeys a little bit, it felt like. And, like, we would go out and my parents would be like, oh, sing for them. And then we'd have to just sing on cue kind of thing, you know. Mm. And it was like, just a really... So that would, uh, just to kind of tie in some stuff with, like, what you were saying, Brandon, that's, like, something that I do think that, like, is a benefit of being, like, you and I a little bit, where, like, you start a little later and you kind of start, like, for me, like, I grew up in a thing where it was, like, get a real job, you fucking piece of shit. Like, what the fuck Yeah, so I was going to say, he had <laughs> like, such an opposite but, perspective because his dad, it was, like, very much against him being a musician. So he, it was kind of this, like, solace he found in, like... Very, yeah, he was very scared of me, we'll say, to, like, like, of being, like, a musician or something, you know. So for me, it was, like, this huge passion yeah. where it was like uh, you know I was constantly like forming opinions about things that like were personal to me and like it was very important like like uh like when Juju like I was like what what are your favorite bands that might have been actually the thing that made me ask her that it was like it was like what are your favorite bands she was like I don't know. And I, I was, was like, like I just, he's like, like, what do you listen to? And I was like, I just like to listen to the sounds of the road when I drive. Like, I didn't even want to uh. listen to music. I was like so in such a bad place. And so it was kind of cool because he was pretty stern with me. He was like, it was kind of this mentality of like, well, it's a privilege to be a musician and to be part of this community. So if you're not going to appreciate it, then get the fuck out kind of thing. It was like that kind of, he was kind of like blunt. He wasn't like rude about it, but he was just kind of like, you're going to either going to appreciate it or like, don't be a musician. Yeah. You know, because, like, if you don't want this, like, the world doesn't need another musician. Like, yep. you know, so Without was, the passion, you're going to yeah. burn out. And yeah. it was really cool because it woke me up. It really did. And he totally, like, saved me with that. Like, he, he was like, let's just go out and, like, do open mics. Like, no pressure. You don't have to be good. He's like, because when I met him, I was like, you know, I don't eat or drink before I sing. And I, you know, I wear stuff around my neck so it doesn't get too cold. Or, like, it's, like, very, like, I had all these rules and, like, all this stuff, and he was like, fuck that, dude. <laughs> He's like, let's go drink some whiskey and go to an open mic and have fun. And it was so cool because I never just let go and just had fun like that. So he, he was forced to be rebellious yeah. and in turn taught you yeah. to be rebellious and enjoy it. It was amazing. And so then we started going out and having fun and playing, and I'd mess up a little. or And it was like, whatever, who cares? It's just like, but I let loose, and I just started, like, really finding myself as an artist, and I started loving music, and he showed me all these, like, cool artists, and we started diving into it together and listening for fun, and there's just no pressure, and it was so cool. And, like, ever since then, I just totally reset, and then I got, I, I fell in love with music. It was an interesting you know? process, because I would show her stuff, and I'd be like, do you like this? She'd be like, yeah. and I'd be like, that's not a passionate enough answer. Like, do you like this? Like, tell yeah. me, what do you like? What do you not like? What, you know, it's like... Does it give you that face? Yeah. yeah. Does it give you, like, yeah. I'm not seeing the face. I don't know. <laughs> give me the face. Yeah. No face. face. It's out. It's out. Yeah. Put the next record on. <laughs> and then, uh, but I think that to get back on track, I think that's what sort of started us playing together more, though, was mm -hmm. like just this, like, let's just go play open mics. Let's work up covers of people that we like, songs that we like. And at the beginning... I was at this, like, different journey where um, I'd been coming out of, like, only playing in, like, metal bands for fucking 10 years plus, right? And um, I had, like, enough 
of these projects that I was putting like all of my energy into fall apart, that I was just kind of like, I just want to do something fun. And for some reason, kind of diving into like um, helping Juju be passionate about music, or I don't know if it's helping, but <laughs> being a part of, no, you, yeah, I don't yes. know. Yeah. But uh, it was kind of like freeing for me for a second to, and, and then sort of explore some other things. She was all into like jazz music and all these like old standards and stuff, Frank Sinatra, Ella Fitzgerald, all this stuff. And, and so it was like, we, the way we started was just doing all these like jazzy covers and stuff together. And, and like, I was brand fucking new at singing. I didn't really sing like very much or very long before I met Juju. And so, cause um, he like, he tried, you tried to keep having like singers in your band and then he tried out like 41 or 42, 42 singers. He got the emails to prove at it. At one point and none of them Jeez. worked out. And so he was like, I'm just going to start singing. Like I can't like, find the right singer apparently. And I read enough like, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> cause like, I, I started hearing all these stories like magically the universe is like, I, I started reading this Eric Clapton book and it was like, he got to, he was always searching for a singer, got to work with his favorite singer. And then like, he started like trying to critique the singer that he was working with that was his favorite singer and then I was like dude you sing like this is ridiculous like I sing like this if you want it to sound like that you go sing it kind of thing and like and then it was like all these stories of like uh Dave Mustaine from Megadeth tried out all these singers and couldn't find someone then eventually it was just like fuck it and then I started finding like all these like interesting little uh links I guess or something where, where like there was a lot of my favorite singers were a lot of these people that just did it out of like necessity Mm-hmm. Not necessarily good singers or gifted singers. It was just all these people that were just like, "Fuck it, <laughs> no one else will do it." You know, Ken Casey from like fucking Dropkick Murphys, right? Like just that, like, "Fuck it, I'll do it." I don't know. <laughs> and like, I, I was very inspired by that and stuff. But anyway, so we were doing all these like jazz covers, and I was just kind of like going for it with her, and like, and that's how we started. And then, so we had a little duo called Orchid and Barrel. So we just kind of took that and. Um, just did a bunch of like fun little like acoustic and broken down kind of just stuff just to kind of work just have fun and and just like sing together and um and just no pressure kind of thing just kind of like I wrote down like a list of like 50 songs that I always wanted to learn that no one wanted to learn with me and stuff and he just like played guitar and and I never had like an amazing guitar just like play beautiful acoustic like stuff for me with like so I was like could you just play this one can you play this like it just it was so fun and we started recording them and we put them out and like we did a cover of um, "I Can't Help Falling in Love with You," the Elvis song, and um, it just like shot up in streams on Spotify. Like went up to like a million streams, like super quick. Wow. And I was like, "Whoa, okay, I think we have like something kind of cool here," you know. And so we kept doing a bunch of stuff, and just without any pressure and just having fun, it seemed like it was all just kind of like forming naturally and stuff, which was like super cool. And then um, we just kind of were like writing some more writing some stuff and it was kind of turning out to be a little more rockin' and a little bit more like I started to kind of crave some of that he's like I want to do like distortion fuzz (laughs) he's like I'm I'm over this like ukulele acoustic (laughs) he's like I need a break from that so then we were like okay well let's do like more of a rock band thing and they were like well Orc in a Barrel doesn't really have like a rock attitude to it it's kind of like the name is perfect for rock (laughs) and roll (laughs) sounds like a florist company or something (laughs) so then like that's where the name, like, so we were kind of trying to come up with, like, band names. And uh, one night in 2015, is that when the blood moon, the first blood moon yeah, happened? So, do you yeah. remember 2015, that big blood moon? Yes, was, I do remember. And we were, like, partying in Silver Lake at our house, and we were 
um, howling at the moon and oh, stuff. Cool. And then we were like, we're not close enough. So we like climbed up we on our roof. We got to get closer to the moon sometimes. Started right? howling. And our landlord, it was a duplex. Our landlord lived next to us. And she came out. She's like, what is happening? Because we were like on the roof, like howling. <laughs> we had started to take all our clothes off. <laughs> Climbing towards it. <laughs> I want to be free. <laughs> So then, like, when we were coming up with band names, we are like, oh, Blood Moon Howlers, that's, like, that would be perfect. And then we we ended in our head, like, we're just going to be the two of us, and we're going to just, like, have people play with us. Like the White Stripes or something? Yeah, and just or have, like, featured artists and stuff, but not have anyone in the band, because we had so much bad luck with just bands and stuff falling apart, and just, we yeah. were just like, let's just keep it the two of us, it's sure. easy. So we played with a bunch of, like, awesome drummers and stuff for a while, and then um, when we met Brandon, it was, like, immediately just, like... Mm-hmm. Okay, no, he's gonna be in a band. <laughs> like super, super cool. It was like a couple weeks. It was like it was so funny because it was like that like relationship that feels really right at first, yeah. and you're like, I shouldn't ask her to like be my girlfriend yet. Or right. Right. You know, there's no way. It's like, too, too, too soon. It's too soon. It's too yeah. soon. Like too play soon. cool, play cool. Like hey, you want to like hang out sometime? Like I, if you're not busy or like you know, because <laughs> I remember Gigi uh, and I were like, we can't like just like come out. No way. Like, <laughs> we're all like, it's like we're way past this like early band shit. Come on, like because we played the show, the first show we played with them, it was like such an amazing feeling, and it was like nothing we've ever played with any other person. It was like I don't know if you felt that, but we felt it like super strong, and like we were just because we were playing with all these different people, and it's like it's hard to like jump in and have like only have a couple rehearsals, with someone and play and have that feeling. Yeah. But we with on stage, it just he was like rocking out, and he was just it was just like this really cool kind of like oh, there's something like special with this guy here, mm-hmm. and um and then as we just kept like getting to know him and just like hanging out and just like just there was like some there's a chemistry there that like it just yeah. felt really cool. Well, that like first show, and we had like. Not a lot of expectations at that time. We were doing it to, like, explore, I felt like. So we were just booking whatever show and just, like, whatever, you know, playing to, like, whoever the, the hell was in the bar in LA, that night, yeah. you know. And, and it was funny because we were just, like, so sort of absorbed in our, like, exploration. We didn't really care. But then all of a sudden, like, Brandon was on stage with us. And I just, like, I remember that night I felt like we were, like, fucking rock stars. And there was, like, there was still just the, like, eight people in the bar or something like that, you know. But, like, that night we were, like, oh, fuck. That was, like, it felt good, yeah. you know. Y'all, and, like. That, that that was, like, playing with Animal from the Muppets. <laughs> well, it yeah. It's funny because I, I have such a. <laughs> I have such a different perspective of that night because so I knew that Matt and Juju, the drummer they were playing with a lot was my teacher in college who mm. I respected a lot as a drummer and I knew Matt had played with a bunch of really well-known like serious cats like guys that played with like Alice Cooper and like insane, insane dudes. So I was kind of intimidated. So when they asked me, I was like, yeah, I'll do it. I spent like, I charted out every song, like did the like thing you're quote unquote supposed to do as like a session drummer. Like, yeah. Learn it note for note, every tempo, right? Thinking that they were going to be like, no, we need that like two BPM <laughs> slower, and this and that. And that night when Slutty. we were playing the drum, it was it was a shitty dive bar in Burbank, and the drum set started falling apart. <laughs> well, we're playing, so I'm literally holding shit up. It was some someone else's drum. It set? It was like the house the kit house that's set, just there, yeah. and like the drum seat kept like falling. I was like falling over, so it looked like the whole thing was like falling apart, and it had to just kind of turn into like somewhat of like a beautiful mess. So I couldn't I couldn't play like perfection super tight is perfection and perfect, dude. and it, so it kind of turned into this cool like very rock and roll thing because shit was just kind of falling apart and it became 
this energetic, cool so thing. And Matt and I remember just like jiving when you were doing like soloing and I'll just like follow you with the shit I was playing. And yeah, that was really unique. I thought like he would listen to still does like listen to the rhythms of what I'm playing, which is like so cool. Cause I think a lot of times people when, um, Especially drummers, and and I and not not to put down any drummers, but because I think like the general mentality is to play very simple during a solo, so you're not getting in the way of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that sometimes it's just like people just fall into like, well, that's what you do. And then like Brandon was like hitting these little like, if I was you know like doing this like thing or something, he'd be like, you know, doing some shit, and it was just like, dude, it's like this bringing some life to it. You know, I grew up listening to so much jazz and. Was an, I always wanted to be a jazz drummer, and I just don't have the chops or the touch to be a jazz drummer. But I love that shit of like comping, like they're never playing the same thing twice. So someone's soloing, the drummer's like building and following him. They're just yeah. like it's a it's a communication back and forth. And like those early days of jazz with you know Mingus and all these guys, it was like so just like intense. And these guys, it was almost like they were battling each other. So someone would be taking a solo, and it's like the band was backing them, let them have their moment. But they were kind of like pushing them, like yeah, well try this, see if you can kind of keep pushing. And I love that mentality you don't hear a ton of that in rock you hear it more in like more like quote unquote nerdy music because like that kind of like jazz as a study mentality is turned where it's just like well now when someone solos you do this instead of just like turn your mind off and just let it become a a conversation type those are some of my favorite parts in our songs where like because we'll have i mean we have our songs you know but there's like definitely these sections where it's like anything goes right here, dude. Like, we never know how the fuck long it's going to go or anything like that. And it's definitely that, like, what are you going to do if I start playing this shit? Sometimes we think (laughs) we're fucking with each other. We're literally like, oh, I thought you were fucking with me. Like, we think things are happening. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll just play off that. But then later we'll talk after the show and be like, no, I wasn't doing that. But it just, like, works out into this beautiful, like... We just did this, like, little uh, live-streamed festival. Yeah. We had this whole ending... And it turns out Brandon didn't hear, but like, I just thought he was like fucking with me, you know. And I was just like, so it's like my mentality is like this motherfucker right now, you know. What, I'm gonna, what, I'm what gonna happened? Fucking he just get kept him, going. You know? like, he kept going. He kept going. going. Because I didn't hear the cue. I guess I just and, then he, hear and, then he, and then he brought it down real low, and then oh, we're like, what's he doing? What's he doing? You know. And he's like, I just couldn't hear what's going on. But we watched it back, and I was like, that is fucking like it's... fire, dude. Like, there's like cool. so much cool shit like that we were doing that was just like. But like know, also too, he he follows the singing, and yeah. I've never heard. I don't. I haven't actually had that much experience with different drummers, but I've never heard a, a drummer do that. And actually, he sings while he plays. And it's really funny because you can't hear it when you were playing like tours and stuff. You couldn't hear it, but now that we're doing live stream stuff and everything's mic'd so well, you can hear him like humming in the background of our stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's, I'm not humming like the melody. I'm humming this weird thing I have in my head. It's yeah. not even I'm humming the beat. It's like this weird counter melody that I'm playing the beat off of. So if you like. When I'm mixing, I'll be like, you know, soloing up the drums, and you just hear me like, mm, like doing this like weird ass <laughs> shit, humming it. But but it's so cool because like when we we were first like practicing together and stuff, like he started like listening to my bass lines, and he was like, you know, doing some cool stuff like Matt saying about the guitar. But you do it with my bass, and you do it with the singing, and he would. So he's like, he's always like kind of accentuating these kind of cool little like details that um, I think is just really unique. Well, and we as as not drummers or percussionists like wouldn't even like think of how to accent those certain little things or even just like how he hears it mm-hmm. you know like sometimes i think you like you hear these little pieces and it's like like oh shit like i don't even really think about that little section of the part that we're playing or something well and that's what i love about like 
you know, having putting like a group of people in a room together is everyone hears something different as opposed to, you know, there's like a lot of bands where it's like, it, like, like Tim and Paul is basically like one guy. Mm-hmm. And that's awesome because he is that sound. But I love the collaborative impact of it because you'll have something in your head that's like, oh, I'm writing this. Like maybe you have a guitar riff. They're like, oh, I'm hearing this beat behind it. And then you play with somebody and they play something completely different. And if you're not attached and like to the fact that it has to be a certain way and that you're having a collaborative effort, it's going to turn into something great. That's like why I hate. And I think the ultimate way to kill art is to micromanage it. Cause I know so many people, I deal with a lot of mixing people or friends who are artists. I'm, I'm sure you've talked to a lot of artists where it's like someone will send something to them. Like I want you to do your thing but then have like a list of revisions that completely stifle what the person does. So it's like, to me, if I want to bring some, if I was going to somebody to create a piece of art, I would go to that artist and be like, listen to this and just draw what you feel. Cause that's when you're going to get the best art out of it. Instead of being like, I want you to draw what's in my head. It's like, at that point I might as well just learn to draw and do it myself. Mm. So, so with a band like T- Tame Impala, those first two albums that, that he made are some of my fa- like yeah, all time favorites. Mm. He he writes all the music himself, and then they play it. They don't. It's. I, I don't know, like exactly how it works. I I, I know with the past couple, it's basically just him doing the, all the music, the, everything. The the last two are are they're like completely different sounds. I don't know with those early ones, but it's that it's that way for a lot of bands. You'll hear it, it's like a band name, but really it's like one maybe it's two. It's one dudes. guy that writes mm-hmm. writes the music. Yeah. Like, like I always heard John Bon Jovi's band was his band and everybody w- was on pay- payroll. Mm. That's one, one reason that they've lasted so long. Well, and that's a rare thing too because Matt and I, in, you know, when we're young adults, we, our thing was like, I think, wanting to be uh, like hired guns because that's like what our music school we went to kind of like trains you to be. So you have the chops to go out and play with anyone. So like John Bon Jovi calls you and needs a guitarist. Matt could just like be like, yeah, I can figure it out. But you don't get that that tightness of like Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. He's had that band forever. Bon Jovi's mm-hmm. had his band forever. Where nowadays everything's just like so turn and burn. That's like every tour there's a different guitarist. Mm-hmm. So you don't you can't develop that tightness. Like everyone's quote unquote tight. Like they're playing all the notes right. They're playing to a click. Usually it's like in time, but it doesn't have that gel that a band has. And I feel that's what people really love. Like um, we were just watching a performance with a with an artist, I don't know, it's like Nora Jones or someone, where it's like the music is so soulful on the record and you can tell they just had a hired band because it, it lost the vibe. It's like everything's technically right, but it doesn't have that vibe. It's like the reason people love Zeppelin or the Chili Peppers. It's those kind of imperfections of it that make it human and make it desirable to listen to because it has a groove to it. It isn't so robotic. Mm-hmm. That's like something that Matt always loves to talk about is like he used to see like flyers all the time growing up of like, mm-hmm. if you like these five bands, we should, then start, we a should band. start a band. Yeah. And his, like all of Inspiration. his... Inspiration. But, <laughs> but like yeah. when, when those people get together, they like the same artist, so there's nothing challenging anything there. So it becomes... Well, I, just, I would always opinion, notice that these bands... You know, like if you like these five bands, that type of band always just ends up sounding like a worse version of those bands. Of those bands, yeah. And so, when that was another thing when we started the Blood Moon Hellers, and that was a thing that like I think drew us to Brandon is that it felt like he was on this like interesting wavelength with us. Where I was like, "Fuck liking the same bands." I was like, "Let's just like find people that like we feel like intrigued together." You know, it was like I come from like metal, fucking punk rock, all this stuff, right? Juju sings fucking like jazz shit in Motown her whole life. And Brandon's like fucking like Funkadelic, Red Hot Chili Peppers, all this shit, you know? And it was like, 
to me, but but we like have like a similar like mentality about the art piece. And so to me, it was like, let's see what this creates. Yeah. Yeah, because at the end of the day, you guys have to spend a ton of time together. Yeah. You have to go on the road together. Can't pick up someone like, oh, this guy's talented and he plays with us good, but he's a dick. You hear a yeah. lot of those yeah. stories. Yeah, yeah, this guy's, wait a minute, now he wants to take the whole thing. Now he wants to direct everything. And you, you can't, I mean, you can't predict the future, but you can pre sort of predict that in a person by seeing little red, well, red flags and stuff. It becomes yeah. not sustainable. I think that's why so many bands break up. Because I know for me, it was less about that. I, I mean, I enjoyed the music that Matt and Juju had when we got together, but it was more I just enjoyed being with them. And I was just like, it, the music was almost irrelevant to like what I felt when we were just all hanging out. Because when we still do this, like we'd practice, when we practice, probably talk for an hour and a half and then practice for half an hour kind of deal, you know, where we would just talk and just like the time would fly by. And I was like, oh, I love this. I remember uh, reading an interview with Questlove when the Roots were starting, they would have family dinner every Sunday. Because cool. it was like that thing of like, a, ba a band is like a family it's like marriage it's you know it's like this relationship and in order to be like a true band like that you have to have that that relational aspect of it it isn't just a transactional like you're really technically good at this and you're really technically good at that put them in a room it's kind of like hiring a band at that point you know doing the steely dan thing where it's like mm -hmm. you had two writers and we'll just hire the best of the best musicians and see which ones fit on the record but to be like a Zeppelin or a Chili Peppers. I feel like that's more of a science project is, than like a is. soulful project. And it's cool. Of like it's art. a business. Yeah. yeah. I feel like people can see through it though eventually. And yeah. that's what always happens. It's like that's why the bands break up or that's why like things just kind of well, fall off. What we talk about is when's the last time a band has come out? Like a true, like a band in the sense of you think of Zeppelin, you think of the Chili Peppers, you think of any of those guys, the Who, where it's like they all had like these personalities that you were invested in the band, like deadheads, right? It doesn't matter who plays with the dead at this point. They're going to see it because they love the dead. When's the last time a band has come out like that? A lot of good music has come out. But to see that kind of thing where as a kid, I read all the books about the Chili Peppers. I love the Chili Peppers. I love their story that Flea and Anthony were friends since high school and they were all like buddies. It was like a band of pirates. Like it was like the closest thing you had to like a posse, you know, yeah. like a taming the West. And I feel you see less and less of that because it's become so manufactured and granted I probably we are such a, in a bubble here in LA where it's like everyone comes to LA to sell their art as opposed to necessarily perfect it. But it's become such a commercial thing as opposed to like, we're just doing this because that, that image of being four kids in a garage in high school and that feeling of just wanting to rock out, but doing that, you know, it well through your whole life. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's like kind of connecting back to what I was saying too about like when Matt and I first started working together, it was like we, we worked together on music and then we fell in love and started dating. So it was very much like we were, we weren't like just, oh, a married couple that was like, let's try to play a band together. It was like we wanted to play music together and then we ended up falling in love doing it. So um, that's why when you're saying when you first met us, like, like you couldn't tell if you're brother and sister and stuff because when we're in band mode, it's like we're just band members. Or not like we take our relationship out of it. We made that that kind of uh, boundary with each other when we first started because we were like we don't want to like intertwine the two and get like emotions involved and stuff like that um, because it's already hard enough to like be in a band and keep everything like good communication and good boundaries with that and then like if you're adding like a relationship into it <laughs> it can get crazy. Yeah, but but how's that energy when you guys create something and you know it's good? I mean, yeah. couples get stale. Mm -hmm. You guys can create something new and you're both like, 
yeah, it's get, we're getting a reaction to it. People are digging it. People are listening to it. We're playing it. The crowd's reacting, and you and I created this. Yeah. It's, it's so much more than a relationship. Like my, my fiancé and I, she, we'll, we'll work on art together, and now we're, she's helping me with like merchandising, building the brand, and then she sees it come out, and she gets all excited, and I'm excited that she's excited, and it's just... It, it, adds to it it's such a nice layer well and, and when you see the other person do something that like you like like surprises you or something you're like oh shit like oh yeah exactly badass. exactly like <laughs> damn good <Yeah>. work it's <laughs> <laughs> so, like, yeah. definitely a, a cool thing about that for sure yeah i love the africa cover that oh. you guys did in <laughs> fact my, my next baby's probably gonna be conceived in that song <laughs> good that's we the just, only thing yeah. we write music for we just got like our favorite comment ever <laughs> we got yeah. like this this um I don't know what it was the for uh, the, it was on, the it was lockdown on, version. Oh, the, the Moonlighters. Right. What you sent me earlier today, the of Juju yes. just singing. Yeah, uh, that yes. one. Someone said we banged this shit, and I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're using that for the in- intro for this. Okay. I want to. Oh, cool, cool. The uh, but that that Africa cover that's gotta get someone's gotta use that in a movie or something. I it's know. So good. It's like ooh. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Yeah. I just I just saw them play a couple years ago too, a few few years ago. Oh, cool! Yeah, I was just like, play, just play Africa. Just the whole time, <laughs> yeah. it's like every song. Rosanna's good. But Throw that in for the set break, yeah. and then go back to just playing Africa. Just do Africa repeat. twice, play Rosanna once, and play Africa twice again. <laughs> Did they play it or? Oh yeah, okay. yeah they played it Dude, for if, sure. If I saw Toto and they didn't play Africa, the whole they, right. everyone would have right. <laughs> Yeah, that, that place would have burned right. down. Brandon solo right. I, I would love that though. You go to see Africa and they just do some avant-garde jazz set like we always talk about. Because I have this, um, someone had told me, uh, this guy, he's like really into guitar. He's like been a, I think, lawyer or something his whole life, but really into the blues. So he's always telling, taught me about, you know, he's like collects a bunch of guitars. And he was taught me how he saw George Harrison. And I was like, oh man, that's awesome. He's like, yeah, until he brought his guru out and then they sung <laughs> mantras on stage for two hours. I was like, sick. Oh. I want to see that. Like, I don't want to see him do hold my hand. I want to see that. You know? like, Where, where's the acid? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we were talking about how those bands will like come out and like have their like weird avant-garde set and all the fans are there to hear that like one hit song. And I kind of love that, that like they just piss everyone off. Like I love that anytime you see Neil Young, he usually just plays whatever the fuck he wants. And so you know you're going to get a, pro- a passionate performance, but then there's always that dig that's like, play Cinnamon Girl. You've never, he, he just plays a bunch of songs you've never heard Sometimes, before. yeah. I'd be bummed on that. <laughs> well, he, he, he always, I'm sure, plays some that you know, but... I would, Maybe he, like, I get goes, it, he starts playing the intro to something, <laughs> and then he just switches it to yeah. something else. Because <laughs> I think the thing I, I hate seeing, and I and I respect it, it's not that I'm, I'm hating on it, I just personally dislike, is like when you see the bands that are kind of doing the more like casino circuit, and you know that they're there, and they're playing their hits every single night, and they're doing it, and that's awesome. But there's like a level of passion that you can see that a little bit of them might be dying inside. Not all of them, but not, some. Not Britney Spears. Yeah, <laughs> is, she still, is she still playing? I'd I, see that. Well, I mean, I don't think anyone's playing right now, but she, oh, was, she was just playing before pandemic. Oh, damn. I believe so, yeah. Where, where is she playing? Was Vegas. She, she was like, she was oh, playing it like, like Excalibur or that something. That makes sense. Mm. Or maybe yeah. not Excalibur, <laughs> Some, somewhere <laughs> out there. Yeah, she, she was a regular. And then there was a, there was another one that was big too that was playing out there. It was Britney and wasn't I don't know. There there was a, there was a couple. I was kind of like, oh. Well, there's certain bands that's kind of money though. It's right? got to be got to be insane money. Insane to play out there. Like, could you imagine? You know, imagine to at a certain point 
a lot of artists don't want it to tour. We're still youthful and full of energy, so we love it. But at that point, we're like, I don't want to be on the road all the time. And they pay you insane amounts of money just to sit in Vegas and play a couple times a week. I'm Pretty sure they deal. find their methods, you know, like they play like a bunch of the hits and then sneak in some of the weird ones. Well, and, there's certain know. bands that's kind of crazy when you realize like how many hits they have. Yeah. And I remember I played a festival when Weezer was playing and I was like, every song was a hit. And you're like, so we, we saw the Stones before the pandemic happened. And like, by the way, side note, greatest show I I, I've ever I seen. I missed going to that, that old cella thing. I should have went. Oh, yeah. Mm. Um, but they, yeah, the, like the whole set. Like I think they played they like a couple, maybe obscure kind of ones or something. Them. Maybe a new one a new here. One, yeah. But but it was fucking like two hours of like holy shit. They wrote so many good songs. Yeah, <laughs> so many. We got and, to see Fleet Fleetwood Mac mm-hmm. a couple years ago. That was good with with Stevie Nicks. But the guitar was, talk talk about a band that can't stay together. <laughs> <laughs> Stevie Nicks was there and the guitar player wasn't the, the guitar player quit or they're fighting or something but. there was this great meme it was like someone was like I have this experiment let's get a bunch of musicians who don't like each other a bunch of cocaine and lock them in a studio and, and, and it's like the next line is Fleetwood Mac first of all yes second of all where <laughs> like, <laughs> and throw like, a female in, in there that will probably date a few of them yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like the Who. When we saw the Who, they were still fighting on stage. It's like at this point, is it staged or is it like they have to keep up their reputation of fighting all the time, or is it real? Are they still fighting? Well, like, I mean, Pink Floyd, the Eagles, the Who, Fleetwood Mac, some of the greatest. I mean, they're all broken up. Mm. But Pink Pink Floyd, uh, they'll never play together again, is what they say. Mm. So that's why Roger Waters play, plays on his own. Yeah, yeah. And David Gilmore has his whole solo thing too. Huh? Yeah, they won't. They're they hate each other from what I've heard, rumors yeah. are. But so it's like, how many people see that and see those their great favorite bands and they're like, like, like Kevin Parker, for example, with Tame, Tame and Polly. He's like, oh, I'm just gonna keep this thing on on my own. Makes you it know, a lot easier. Writing's on the yeah. wall. I'm gonna I'm gonna own this thing and, we're, and I'll be able to keep it going forever if it's all mine, versus five owners in a band or whatever. Oh. Yeah, I mean, because I think if you start thinking of it as a, from a relational aspect, it's not like you just get married to anybody, you know. So if like you're starting a band, it's kind of like that mentality. Because then you know, it's also like starting a business where you're like, were well, you just gonna let anybody just have a take of that, yeah. you know? And then you're gonna like create all this and do all this with somebody that's like you don't get along with from the beginning. Then you know, it, it to me. It's a workflow thing as well. There's certain people that create really well by themselves. I'm not one of those, but I find myself to be more of like a, a generator. Someone comes to me with an idea, I'm like, I can make that sound really good. Yeah. But I can't, I'm not gonna be the person that's like, here's the song I just thought of. Like, I'll have ideas, but there's like certain starters and generators. And what I like is I feel we all don't overlap in certain areas where it's just like, we all kind of help push each other and carry things along in a way that keeps it, the train moving efficiently. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, there's so many obstacles in your guys' business. Drugs, alcohol. A lot of temptations. Significant others, you know, that pull the person away or one person's going somewhere spiritually, the other person's drinking every day, and mm-hmm. it's hard. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. I get both sides of it, for sure. Yeah, yeah it, it's funny because I, I totally get the, uh, you know, the Yoko thing. It's interesting where from a, from a young age I always made it a thing where I was just like, when I do music, I'm like, it's always going to be my priorities are like music and then 
family or I'm sorry, family and then music, like, you know, like take care of my mom or stuff. And then it's just like music. So if there's like a girlfriend that's like trying to pull me, I feel is pulling me away from that. The music has to come first. And like made that promise to myself of like any sort of external thing can't pull me away from this thing that I feel so important that I have to accomplish while I'm on this earth, basically. Because that and it doesn't necessarily, I gave the example of a girlfriend, but it could be anything that you get really into and you just find it pulling you away from this art form that you feel you have to create. Like you have no other choice but to do this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's hard because there's sometimes things that pop up for us that seem like it's just this is the thing. Yeah. This is interesting because it's always like a, I heard this... Uh, metaphor it was like what's your favorite flavor of shit sandwich and like what that means to me right now with this conversation is just like no matter what thing you go to you kind of have to pick your favorite problems because everything has its own list of things so it's like which one are you really gonna like which one like (laughs) where does the pain feel good or something, you know? Sure. Like, and, like, for for me, like, music, it's just, like, I, I just, like, always, anytime it feels, like, difficult or something or something pulls in another direction, it's, like, okay, like, could I really do something else? Like, it's okay to, th- like, think, uh, that's, a, like, that's an interesting thing, not being afraid to consider something else, you know, mm-hmm. like, and like not taking that as like some sort of like scary, fearful thing. Like just kind of going like, oh, could I do something else? And with music, it always just like, nah. <laughs> yeah. I just no. I, I, I check in with myself all the time because the one that always comes to me is like, okay, say I did something else because I'm like, oh, I could make a ton of money if I did this. What would I spend all my money on? It would just be music stuff I anyway. Know, right? So I'm like, like well, how much money there's one sign. You know, it's just yeah. a monetary sign. But I think it's important because. Y- Someone, we were doing this radio interview the other day and we were talking about sacrifice. I bet you have to make a lot of sacrifices as a musician. You're like, yeah, but they also don't feel like sacrifices. Like, yeah, there's a lot of sleepless nights. There's a lot of like times where maybe you don't get to see your significant others or your family and stuff, but it never feels like a sacrifice. Like, oh, I'm giving up all this because I'm doing this. It's just like, well, I have to do this. You know, those nights where like we just recently did a, uh, uh, recorded um, the song Time Warp for the, the uh, Rocky, Rocky Horror, Horror Picture, Picture Show because they were doing like a Zoom reading of it with the original cast members and like we heard Rosario Dawson was going to sing over it. Mm-hmm. And so if someone calls you with that and like, hey, but we need this tomorrow, what are you going to say like, well, you know, I have a I have to work tomorrow on some stuff and I need to get some sleep tonight. You're just like, yeah. And it doesn't feel like a sacrifice. You know you're going to hurt the next day, but it doesn't feel like, well, I have to sacrifice my comfort for this or nights yeah. where I don't get to be at home and relaxing because that thing that would be like a quote unquote sacrifice is like the thing that's giving you life. Yeah. But your, your life is a, is a constant get ready for that moment. Yeah. Also. Yeah. It's, it's kind of funny cause that particular constant. one too, mm-hmm. like you kept telling me like that one day was going to be so hectic oh, for you. I and so to, you're like, yeah. try not to play in any like interviews or any, any shows or anything like that on that one day. Cause it's like really crazy for me. And I was like, okay, so I like had that day in my, in my head, and then it just happened that they called us and were like, hey, can you need to get this song in? It has to be done by this day. And he's like, well, okay. <laughs> so it's like you, you put do? it out there in the universe that that day was like so stressful, and then we had like so much stuff that happened that day. It was funny. It's so cool because it seems like you guys are all in the ex- – you all you crossed each other's lives at all at the, at the perfect time. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it feels like you know, and there's not one person that's like, oh, I got I got bigger th- things I want to, or I got lesser things I want to do. I got other things. It's like, it, I could just see that being a struggle too, because it, it's at the end of the day, it's a relationship. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's what I I think what drew me to to Matt and Juju so much was again not necessarily that I was like, oh, this music is like my like I'm in it for this music. It's like I enjoyed the music, but I more just realized we're kind of all on the same page. Like emotionally, career wise, ego wise, like all those things. I just You're realized not bitter. Yeah, we're not bitter. Mm-hmm. We kind of take responsibility for everything. We're not the like, whoa, I should have made it by now, chip on our shoulder kind of thing. Like we're, you know, we're always kind of made if we feel anyone, each other is like getting a little bit of that, we kind of like poke at each other and like keep each other in check and making sure that there's no ego involved in any of this. How, how do you guys feel about being, getting signed? Like a big label comes up to you guys and says, I want to give you guys a deal. I think um, what we feel about it is that when it happens, we want to be in a place where we don't feel like we want to be in a place where we're presenting what we are, mm-hmm. not uh, because I, I was signed to a label when I was like 22, and I had like just started like singing. I had just started like writing songs, and I, I literally like they heard my very first song that I wrote, like lyrics, and did the whole thing and all this kind of stuff. And so I was so brand new that when I presented myself or whatever, they were just like, okay, cool. So they just started trying to fill in all these gaps. You gotta look like this now. And like, it was like whatever I looked like at the time, they're like, now this is your image. You know, you gotta always have this, I had this like, you know, you know, three musketeers, like mustache mm-hmm. thing, you know? And they were like, that's your thing. You know, I was doing like this, like I did this like one photo shoot where I had like a tie and a nice shirt and stuff. And they were like, ties, mustache, boom, done. That's your thing. <laughs> that's and your uniform, like, boy. Yeah. And like, and then it was just like, you know, and like, okay, song's cool write 10 more like that, you know? And it was just like, that's they what just, sells. Yeah, yeah. Like, the, and then it was just kind of like, and I was just like, dude, like I had to kind of back out of the thing. Cause I was like, and it was a weird thing. Cause you know, like it was a friend that was like, um, working with the label who was like helping me with it and stuff, but I had to back out and it, it put a bit of a strain on the relationship, but it was like, but I was like, I can't do that to myself because like, I, I can't just like have them fill everything in for me. I don't want to be that person or something. So one thing that we always talk about is like, I, um, we, we do want a major label, but we want it to be, we want it to come at a time where um, we are like ready for whatever they're going to fucking throw at us. We're not just going to be like, oh, we'll, oh, yeah, we'll do this producer. Oh, yeah, we want to be like, okay, like, who's this producer guy? You know, like, can he do a better job than us for reals? Can he, like, you know, like, we want to just be able to um, really, truly be ourselves and not just have someone take over, I guess, is the simpler way. And just have everything figured out, like, feel really grounded in, like, who we are. So in we touch just, with ourselves. Yeah, like, fight back a lot, you know, basically on, like, no, we know this is who we are. We know this is what is right. Instead of being, like, kind of wishy-washy and letting them kind of make decisions that... You know. And that's not to say that we would like shut down ideas yeah. or necessarily just like be difficult to work with just for the sake of being difficult to work with. It's just that we want to be in touch with who we are when something like that were to show up so that we don't ultimately ruin what we have that is so cool, like the relationships and stuff like that. Because I feel like that's where some of that shit starts to happen. Yeah, because when, when they sign you, they'll sign you for a three album deal or something, right? Mm, it depends. First one or whatever. Yeah. Let's just say yeah. three, three or four albums. 
your first album comes out, you get a couple songs that are hits, it's a certain sound. And you know, how how I just I just wonder how you keep that creativity with them like what what you just said, hey, track 3 and track 8, they're they're at, they're killing it. Like we need more of that for, for your next album. You're like, okay, so it's, you know, how do you, you know, figure that relationship of building that and also keeping that progressive in a same sound because then, then you end up like I, I could see that like what you just said you end up like Britney someday playing the same songs that had a sound that you necessarily didn't like over and over again yeah. the rest of your life which makes a living you know and, you, and you, 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 you make the money and then you move on and do other cre creative things so it's like how is it it's, that's got to be a tough tough place because I know it's similar in the in the uh, fashion business, you know, when you get a certain look that sells, it's really hard to pull away from that look, and it sometimes pigeonholes brands into mm. a certain mm -hmm. thing, and they can't move out of it, and that brand is that brand, and that's it. Yeah. Mm. But they've been around 10, 12, 15 years, and that's what they get, that's their person. So I, I imagine music is similar, and you, and you guys already seem to have your different sounds and different tastes. It's about how do, how do you, how do you find that big label that is also willing to let you be creative? I, I feel like on uh, so the the thing that we want to create is stuff. So if we had you know track three and eight that are killing it, and they're like we need more of that, like we can just kind of simply be like, yeah, totally. <laughs> like we love those songs. We yeah. fucking made those songs. So like sure. we have no problem trying to like you know throw a little bit of that vibe in there, or we're sure. trying to, or just to like be the the sound and vibe so much that it just like emanates no matter what. Yeah, um, that's that's one of the things that like I admire. I, like uh, my favorite bands all kind of have that trait, where it was like you know like someone like um, Van Halen or something like that. Like that dude just sounds like him fucking self, dude. Like there's yeah. no like not like, trying to do anything. Yeah, that's just what he sounds like. You know, it's not you're not gonna get this or that. It's just always this thing. You know, sure. and I and I I really love that when people dive into that exploration of like, you know, the, the people that give themselves the creative, like the, cre <laughs> the create, the creative like freedom to really dive in like that where you just can't help but be yourself. And so um, when this label approaches us, we'll just have this thing for them. And, you know, so if it's like this search fucking fire, do that. We're like, all right, let's do it again. You know, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. How, how much do you really need a big label now though? Cause I'm, I'm yeah. hearing about all these SoundCloud rappers and all these people yeah. that are, Yes. Are they are they making money or or are they just be are they that until they get the big label? Because we've already turned down a few labels that um, we've already like had some label interest and stuff and turned it down because we were just like you know like we're they were smaller they were some, a couple of them were kind of actually bigger they're um, they weren't like major major because there's like the major three there's like the big three and then there's kind of the options of the. Um, Universal Warner Sony and our, they, Sony Sony Universal or Warner get bought out. No. I think Warner's bought out. Is it like all of them out? are owned by Universal or something. There's, it's Universal like, is definitely one of the big yeah. ones. But then there's all these like offshoot. Geffen uh, and Interscope are also under the same. Those are under. Those are the same. Under, those are the same. Universal. Those are under Universal. Under Universal. There's like a bunch of indie wow. or big indie labels too, actually, and a bunch of labels that are all bought like out by the big subsidiaries, basically of like Universal or Sony. Sony, or and then there's one more. Time Warner. I, think, or I thought not Warner, Time Warner, Warner was the other big one. Maybe. The cable company. Time Warner. But. We we turned them down because we were just like, eh, like 
we feel like we can accomplish what we need to accomplish and like they weren't the right one. It didn't feel like they could really take us to that level. That would be worth it to yeah. like give away, you know, a lot of our, our soul. No, our, yeah, our, well, our really, like to like confuse things. Yeah. yeah <laughs> like at that, that place it wasn't ready. Cause to... I mean, to me it's like the important part with creating any art, I feel is like when you're creating the art, not to have any of the commercial aspect involved in the thought press of, of the creating. Once you're done creating it, then you were like full hustle business mode. And you treat this like you would treat a startup or a small business or something. So anytime someone wants to come and invest in your business, do you just say yes because like they got some dough or like they know a couple people? It's like, well, what can you actually do for me? And what we've been finding is uh, through trial and error and been doing this for a bit now is a lot of the stuff we can do ourselves. Yeah. And there is, and basically the only thing, because I've been on somewhat bigger indie labels, a couple of them, and what, and especially now, we're really grateful we weren't signed during this pandemic because a lot of artists weren't able to release music because labels weren't going to dump money into it because they can't recoup any of their losses because there's no tours going on. Ouch. Um, and coming out of this, I, I think personally think that the whole music business is going to completely change. It's going to be somewhat of a blank slate. And so what is the label's role in that right now? Right now, the role is basically the bank with influence. They know people. They can open doors that would be really hard for us to open ourselves. We could open it. It'll just take a lot more work. So I, I feel when it comes to talking to a label, like with anything that I, I've, I feel is right that's happened in my life, is that you, you're not pushing to make it happen. The right thing will happen when it's time, when you're truly ready for it. And Matt brings up such a good point is like, you want to come in with such an, a strong upper hand of just, you already have the whole package together. And it's not that you fabricate it. You're like, this is just who we are. Take or leave it. And that light, right label, that right representative, that right A&R guy will come along that understands that and can help promote that. And not just be like, well, Moonlighters did really well. So why aren't you recording more songs that sound like Moonlighters? And basically we're always playing the like local county street fair for the rest of our life with everyone waiting to hear Moonlighters because that's all we did for the rest of our life. But, Chili cook-off? Yeah, <laughs> which I mean, that's, that's awesome. If, if, that's, if that's a goal for somebody, I think we want to do more. We want the music to constantly evolve and not that all of a sudden we're going to come out with a country western record, the next record, but like go completely out of left field, but we want to have that ability to move and to work with the company. Like, I'm not afraid to sign um, an, you know, a, a piece of the pie away if it's going to be worth it because there's just certain things that we can't do. And you know, you got to understand the things that you're, your strong suits and not your strong suits and have a business that doesn't have a lot of overlap. And a lot of that can be provided by a label, a good PR company. But at the moment, there hasn't been one that's come around where we're like, it's worth signing an aspect of what we just had a... <laughs> I don't know if they were considered a label or a publishing company. They were like company, an offshoot of like Universal or something. But they, like they, they wanted to make us an offer for Moonlighters. And, and they're like, you know, we'll pay you and we'll give you basically like promising that they'll open all these doors for publishing and for syncing and stuff. So we're like, okay, for the rights of the song? For the they wanted rights. 80% of the song. It was a little bizarre. Yeah, they wanted, so they, they were like, we'll pay you X amount of dollars for 80% of the song. You get 20% of the song. And then they were like, but you know you'll have like all of our. They basically said, "Well, they'll open doors, I guess." But on further read in their website, it was like, "You just have our contacts, basically. You you we're not doing anything for you." Make, make the calls yourself. Yeah, Here's like phone I mean, and yeah. the money they offered was just 
was just, I felt disrespectful. I wanted to email him back and be like, hey man, it sounds like you guys need the money worse than we do. How about we bought 80% of your company? <laughs> and, and I feel like there's an aspect of the music business that's so changing right now. No one knows quite how to monetize streaming because Spotify pays shit for that. So I feel when you're looking at it from a numbers game, it makes sense. You're going to see a bunch of artists that are tracking well with streams on Spotify or just whatever streaming platforms. And you're going to go, okay, say we had 10 grand, we'll split that amongst 10 different artists. And one of them will stick and we'll recoup our losses from a sync placement from that. No, you're playing that odds game, kind of like investing in small businesses with stocks or something like that. And they're not actually invested in the growth of an artist. And there's so much that I feel is lost now. In the old days, you'd have artist development and there'd be a portion of the label was working towards developing the artist. That's why they would put them with a producer that would help form their sound. And they really invested into the career of an artist and the growth of it because it was an investment in them. So they would see some promise in it they would help develop this artist into becoming what they would become. Nowadays, it's kind of like, oh, there's a hit song. They know they're going to make X amount of dollars from that. Hopefully, they get another one. I don't know how the numbers work for them. If it doesn't, they'd probably figure that out too. And then they're kind of not that concerned. So we, we'll see a lot of bands that we've come to know from LA over the years, like out on tour and stuff, and none of them seem happy. A lot of them don't seem happy with their label, and they're kind of just stuck being that band that had that one hit song that was on K-Rock and now it's just like they're always just kind of known for that and I think the label's waiting for them to do that song again or going I don't know who's who's the popular you know they'll be like well why can't you write a song that's more like Imagine Dragons it's like because that shit's already been done you know it's like they're chasing something that's already been done instead of trying to pioneer Mm -hmm. that and so I haven't felt that offer from somebody that has that relationship what I would love from a label is a relationship with a label not a business transaction. Yeah, you want someone that's that's gonna offer something. They're gonna. Yeah. They, this is what I do. That's what you do. Mm-hmm. Like, Let's like help a each partnership. Other out. Yeah. yeah, like an investor. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. It's just. It just seems like it seems wild that they haven't figured out how to make money off streaming yet. It's been twenty years. Well, so. Well, they're making Spotify's making a lot. Yeah, of Spotify. Spotify. And the you know, artists are you know who were some of the initial people who own major shares of Spotify was the major labels. Mm-hmm. So that's why they'd get all their artists on Spotify because they know if Spotify made a bunch of money, those major labels were making a ton of money from it. Not that they were making money from those artist streams and the cut that they get from the artists, because a lot of them I'm, I'm imagine wouldn't have the publishing rights to those artists. Like you just saw, Bob Dylan sold his publishing rights for three hundred million. Most artists keep their publishing rights if they're smart um, because that, that's basically saying like you wrote this song. Anytime this song is used, you're going to get paid for it. Labels nowadays will try to get a cut of that and that's fucked up. Usually what it was in the day is labels would take a cut from like the sales of CDs and things like that. Now they have like an in, uh, an, an interest in touring and merch and things. But so now the fact, they want to now they want to own your masters. Well, they, they the masters pertains more to the like the actual physical recording of the song. Yeah. The publishing is like the writing of the song you could think of that mm-hmm. way. And they want to cut. So basically they're saying like that label wrote that song more or less. Mm. It, it's not exactly how it works, but you could kind of think of it that way. They're trying to say like, oh, you know, Sony has a stake in the songwriting of the song, not just like the physical recording of it. It happened to John Fogarty really bad with all the Creedence Clearwater songs. Oh, really? Stuff. Like he lost all of his, that was he lost his publishing, right? 
Uh, I think so. John Fogerty. And then, like, you know, you hear all of his songs, like, in movies and stuff like that, and he doesn't get paid. He's like, paid. You're going to start yeah. seeing Bob Dylan songs on yeah. Pepsi commercials and, like... Like you he, lose that, you're like losing like the. That's why, song. Um, you know, so many people were pissed. I don't know if you know. Remember that Beatles, the the album that has the one on it with all the greatest hits. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you started seeing a bunch of Beatles songs and commercials and movies. It's because the the Jackson family bought out the majority sh- sh- rights of the Beatles catalog. Did Did you hear the story of how that happened? Not exactly how it happened. Someone just told it to me. The other day, and they sounded like it. They like said it was an auction pr- from Lennon's estate or something like that. So McCartney invited Michael Jackson to the auction. Just as like, hey, Michael, you want to come to this auction? I'm gonna, I'm gonna bid on the, on the, uh, on the masters or the rights or w- whatever it is. He brought him as just like, a, like a buddy to, to come, come with him, and and Jackson outbid him on it and oh, won it. No. And he's like, he's like. What are you doing, man? Those <laughs> <laughs> are my songs. Those songs, and he ended up owning them. That's oh, the story. Shit. There's, there's a, there's a little bit of a deeper dive with that too. Like, there's a bunch of stuff of like Paul talking about it, and um, supposedly on one of the sessions where they like wrote together, uh, Michael Jackson like was like, uh, "I'm gonna buy your stuff," <laughs> and like straight up said it to him. And he was like, oh, ha, 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 you know, like kind of like laughed at him like it was just like a joke. And then I guess like Michael would like keep like kind of like saying that to him. And then I'm like, gonna, I'm going to buy you stuff. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Whole, like happy. <laughs> yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it out by, by the monkeys. <laughs> and like Paul was like, oh, it's kind of an old joke, but like, okay, ha, 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 or something, you know. And then like he like actually did it. Oh, and like, and Paul was like, what the fuck, dude? Like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it's like Should then be. all of a sudden you start seeing Beatles selling Ford trucks and stuff because then majority majority share of that got licensed out to sell cars. So you, you know, it's not, and then there is a weird association. We were just talking about this the other day of like you kind of feel then it's like the Beatles endorse Ford or something if it's on a Ford commercial, which isn't necessarily the case. But there's a lot of power that goes along with like licensing your song to a product, licensing the. Rights for, I mean, in, in the clothing business, there's a bunch of people, you know, that, that pay a lot of money for music li- licenses. There's a company that I was looking at a couple of years ago that licenses the, the Lennon and McCartney lyrics, mm. which okay. might, that probably might be the Jackson family then maybe. But you, so you the, can put it on your shirts so and you, stuff? Yeah, so you can put one of the <laughs> let it be Lu- Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds or something. You can let it be. Like You can put it on T-shirts and coffee mugs or whatever. We, we ended up passing on it but because it's like, how much of that do you really need to license? It's kind of weird. But, mm. they, but it was, I mean, it's cool. It's like, but they just start to farm that shit out wherever mm. they can. And you go to a li- licensing show and you can license it for anything. Hmm. You know, especially the way direct to consumer business is now, you can multiple companies can license the same pro- property because they're just selling it on their own store. Hmm. It's kind of it, it gets broken up between, like if I go to license Ro- Rolling Stones and there's already a licensee that's selling the similar stores that I'm selling, or there's a couple licensees that are already selling the similar stores, they won't license it to too many people. Okay. But now with direct to consumer business. Now you can license it to a hundred people because they all have their own stores. Oh. So there's they're not competition, so so to say. Yeah. So it's 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 weird. It's, the internet's changing a lot of things among licensing and manufacturing, all all that kind of stuff. Because it's one, you can pay more. 
because you're getting rid, taking that retailer out of the story creates a whole bunch of new margin. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, where the, the retailer is pretty much the reason why we have to manufacture in China, in Bangladesh, in these different places, Mexico, because to manufacture here just costs a bunch of money. So, and then you add a licensing fee on top of it, and that's, that's another 8% or 6% or 10%, depending on what that licensing fee is. You pay more for direct, but it still gives you that extra margin if you're selling direct to consumer. Yeah, which I imagine coming out of this pandemic is gonna be a much bigger market now than mm -hmm. retail. I don't know. Oh, no, ab absolutely. We're yeah. we're doing everything to work on our own direct to direct to consumer businesses. I mean, that's why it's like you know, I think there's a lot of musicians is very concerned right now, and I feel for them because it was, you know, especially if you made your livelihood off of just strictly gigging, then it's very you know, obviously you have no work right yeah. now. But it's gonna be it's to me it's exciting coming out of this. It's gonna be like the Wild West. Yeah. I was like, we don't know what this is going to look like as far as the music Sweet. industry goes. And I fucking love Westerns, dude. I'll be out there with my Clint Eastwood poncho <laughs> on, like, ready to take it on. But it's, it's kind of exciting to me because it can be reshaped and to see where it goes once everything kind of opens up again. Because, I mean, when we say opens up again, who knows how it's going to opening up again is going to look like. Well, this, this is a big thing in fashion right now, too. Stores are closed. You're not just the store, like, the store thing is going away. The bigger stores are still going to be here for a long time, but the writing's on on the wall for who knows how long in the future, in a couple of decades. It's few all decades online, maybe. right? It's all Everything's close. going on uh, online. But you're starting to have these technologies like augmented re reality, where it's taking the augmentation and v VR and you're putting it in, into the same technology. I think they're calling it XR, maybe. And I, I have some friends that are learning three. 3D design. So you're basically going to be able to put your VR glasses on and walk into like a Louis Vuitton store in your house. And you're going to be able to look at stuff, try things on, try glasses on and look at the glasses and try try like a coat on, look in, mm. in the mirror. And you're going to be able to go shopping at all these different stores wow. and have the store experience, whatever that is, in your own home. How long you're, until that's like easily available for people and how much is that probably cost? probably a decade i mean yeah. they, they can almost do, do it now like i'm i want to work on some tech technology for 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 this new store that that we're doing where the augmented re reality you can try on hats with your phone similar to like how you can filter or something yes yeah. so you can there's already companies doing it with makeup and we can do it with sunglasses hats so that's kind of where everything's going. You can just try sh shit on. Oh, I like it. Click, click, click. Boom, buy it. And so, where, at what point is the music industry going to start to inherit that and have these shows? You guys are playing. There's a crowd around you. The entire thing. It, it, it could virtual. be all virtual in your own house. That's so, what's so hard to imagine because you know what we found from live streaming is like obviously, and this is what everyone's missed. It's like you could put it on a nice sound system on your TV, but you're missing that that human element. Of that course, thing of like looking at your buddy, be like this fucking song. It's never like going to replace out. it. But mm -hmm. I was talking to my friend Sean about um, experiencing Burning Man this year with uh, with the Oculus, and it sounded crazy because he was like, you could like literally just walk up to people and start having a conversation That's with what, them. Same thing. And yeah. then he would like walk out of the little zone and he'd be in his kitchen and like could see his kitchen and walk back in. And all of a sudden he was on the playa. 
of like, that's right now. So you can only imagine in 10 years that's crazy. where that'll accelerate it's, to and who yeah. knows what that's going to look like. It's, it's still a little fuzzy. I, I, I played a, uh, a video game on it once with, from this company called Ser- Servios and we were, you know, you're shooting z- zombies and stuff and you're wearing the thing and you're just like up and down and you're move, moving around and dodging bullets and stuff. It's really, but, the, but it still looks a little bit Bitmap-ish. Okay. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. It's not super sharp yet. It's going to be. Yeah. But basically, for a v- VR system, that was a couple years ago. I think if you buy a nice computer, it's probably a, a cup, couple grand to to get it going. I, I think if you spend up to like probably three, three to five grand, you have a, an, an amazing system. I think system. An like, Oculus is like four hundred bucks. It's like the same as a PlayStation. Yeah, I feel like. But you. But I think you need a bigger processor for the the better games. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. I don't. I don't know a lot about it, but, but yeah, that augmented re- reality is 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 what's coming, and you, it's gonna be kind of cool. Like these music companies are gonna be able to figure figure out. Hey, you want to hang out at a Pink Floyd show tonight? Hey, you want to see Biggie play? You know, do you want to go back into the ar- archives in your own house? And then ha- at what point are pe- people cool. gonna? Yeah. At what point are pe- people going to have certain rooms set up just for this? Like, I'm going to go shopping. Uh, I'll be I'll be back in a few. I'm gonna I have to go try on some shoes and, and some jackets. Or because <laughs> there's all these high end fashion stores are going out of business. Like ton of them. Like Colette in Paris uh, opening ceremony shut shut down. Barney shut shut down. And you have these these companies that are making they're. They're like art pieces. Their clothing is art pieces. And to lose that experience of just going into a, you know, to a Barney's or going into the opening ceremony and and trying things on and touching and feeling and see what fabrics they used, it's hard for me to see how they're going to replace that. But it's like, it's, yeah, it's, it's. You know, try this stuff on. You don't like it, send it back. But it's still you're you're missing that that art gallery. Yeah, I love yeah, I the brick and mortar thing though. I'm very old school. That's why I miss record stores dearly because yeah. I love that. So I just like going in and being like, I don't, I don't have anything in mind that I want to buy. I just want to see what's there and then be like, you find some gems. Mm-hmm. Like you find that article of clothing that fits you like a glove. You're like, whoa, this thing feels crazy. Yeah. I'm, I gotta, I'm buying this. Interesting thing. to you know, like that article of clothing, like that it's actually going to fit you that way. Like, is it just like a, they just, you say your measurements maybe. Well, I'm just sure kinda, it'll just go through it's got like different stages of like how good it is. It might not be that good at first, but they'll probably yeah. figure out a way. But it's interesting to make it so convenient when I feel like half of the things that are good about memories is like the inconvenience oh, or something. For sure. Yeah, the experience like of walking mm-hmm. into the store, looking at the record, looking at the T-shirt, like trying it on in the uncomfortable room, and walking out and being like, "What do you think?" to the person who shot. Mm-hmm. But like all of that stuff is like half the experience or something. The experience like, of of the person saying, "Oh, you got to see this new new brand," or "You got you got to check this out." I just went shopping in in Japan. Japan a couple years ago for a couple of weeks and it was just it's unreal walking around Japan and seeing their different fashions and diff- different things and trying th- things on and realizing they don't have shoes that, that that fit you if you wear over like a size nine or something <laughs> but I guess it's like just taking away the like luxurious like thing of it or something like but I wonder what that'll open up time for like but I feel like I the know. more time that we have available we just end up wasting it on stuff like think of how much more convenience we have today than we did in 1990. Yeah, 
Now that we're all like doing so much more, it's like I have more a couple extra hours to spend on Instagram. You know, it's kind of like the the main mentality of it. You know, I think something that's hard for me to think that that's gone away a long time ago though is going to a, a store because you know the sales associate there is an, an expert in whatever they're sale, selling. Because mm-hmm. I love that. Because I'll go into places. That's why I fucking hate Guitar Center. Right. I'll go in. And I'll have like very specific things, and they're just like, oh, and I'm like, shit, I know more. You know and more than them. Yeah, yeah and I'm like, why, what's, why am I wasting my time here? <laughs> I know yeah. more than you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just go and stroke my ego and leave. But, tell, tell them that. And yeah. leave. <laughs> but <laughs> it's like in that show Parks and Rec. I don't know if you guys ever watched that. I've seen a couple. Um, that dude Ron Swanson walks into Home Depot, and the guy's like, "Can I help you?" And he just goes, "I know more than you," and like walks right past him. <laughs> Doubtful. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that when you go into a place like, um, you know, if you're looking a, a nice wine shop because you're looking for a specific wine and the person can tell you where to look or a tea shop or whatever because you're going there for the experience and the expertise of the person working there. I think some of that was lost in the big box stores that, I don't know, I'm hoping that as stores close down that that will be the main reason why stores would stay open. Well, I think these brands, you know, like take Louis Vuitton, for example, Virgil Abloh's the the head creative there now who's just the renaissance man of fashion right now. You're going to have the augmented reality where you can have you can have 10 million people in your store at the same time, 100 million people in your store at the same time, trying on shit, purchasing. That's just the the gravity of that mm-hmm. is just otherworldly. Like these big brands are just there. It's it's taking it to a whole another level. But they still have their their flagship stores. Yeah, you know they they, they still have their experiences, and people want to go there because they might run into somebody. Yeah. They might actually see someone, you know, the the, the baby there to try trying on some <laughs> some it's some, be like a some new museum or something. That's like. that's exactly it, and that that's the that that whole art gallery mm. appeal to it. With music, you mean you're going to be able to have concerts that have fifty million people there yeah. with no consequences. That's exactly. I was yeah. just thinking about if they can integrate it, that'd be so cool because like you were talking about like the live stream thing, like just pure live streams is, is difficult. Like a little bit like we miss having that live experience with people and stuff. But if you can imagine having like an actual concert, but then also have the virtual virtual reality experience yeah. and everything like that. So you have the crowd, but then you also have like 50 million people watching whatever all around the world, then you can lower concert tickets, like the prices and stuff. And so then more people can, because that would be really cool if they could start lowering concert uh, well, they tickets could, again, because then more people could come like it used they to could, be. They could go to your concert anytime. Yeah. Well, the cool thing Which is, is pretty cool. Yeah. Even if you make it the worst, like you attend when it's live, it opens up that door of like, I, I was always thinking I was so grateful to grow up in Southern California because like my mom and I would go to the Hollywood Bowl or the Forum, whatever, to see bands. But if I lived in the middle of Milwaukee, I wasn't seeing the Red Hot Chili Peppers when they went on tour. You know, so you could, without driving to like a whole nother state. So it opens up the, it could open up the door for people who don't have the like ability to afford a concert ticket or location-wise able mm-hmm. to attend a concert to still see it, and it's going to motivate them to want to go see it in real life. I mean, that was something that came up with Burning Man this year of like how many so many people got to experience an aspect of Burning Man where they would never either feel comfortable to go, have the means to go, and they could. It wasn't going to VR burn wasn't like being there, but it was an aspect of it. And I think that can only develop in a, in a positive way. They were saying, was it like Billie Eilish, like had like a million people on her live stream or whatever. Like think not all those people could have gone to a Billie Eilish show. The people it'll maybe it'll motivate them 
to want to go and save up to go. And they're like, this is what I want to do. And then the people that can go can still see it in person. It'll be a different experience because you're there live, but it can bridge that gap of making it such like a exclusive thing. You know, I think mm-hmm. that's something we take for granted living in LA is we can see every, every artist when they come through on tour and it's great. I just like, I hear all these stories about concerts like back in the day where they, there were so many people going to them that like the concert tickets were like $8, $10, you know, like mm-hmm. all these people you talk to and our parents' generations and stuff like they're like, yeah, I saw you know, so many concerts, this band, this band, this band. Just had like, to make it, it there. Just, yeah, because it was cheap because so many people were attending and I feel like the attendance has gone down so much because of YouTube and technology and all that stuff where people just don't want to go out. They'd rather just watch like a later concert, you know, watch it another time on YouTube or something, you know, but imagine <laughs> if they could... My brother-in-law's mom said she saw The Who for seven bucks. So cool. Yeah, so think about Amazing. if they could do something like this where they are making such a big income from the live stream and all that stuff and, the, like, the whole setup that they could lower the prices and then the people could go to concerts so much more. And that I just think... Because a huge part of, like... Like, I wish we could go to more concerts, but every time we try and buy a ticket, it's, like, so much money now. Or sold out, yeah. Yeah. You spend, like, 300 bucks on a ticket or something crazy. I mean, like, we paid a lot for Rolling Stones. It was Rolling Stones, you know? But still, I mean, like... But it's crazy. So like we, I think we paid three fifty each ticket to have a good view, but we were still pretty far away. Yeah. And then um, all the seating that's like right up front is like, like fifteen hundred a ticket or something. Yeah. Like that. It's like who was ever going to be able to do that? You know. So imagine if they could. That I just think that would be super cool. Yeah, that would actually require the labels and people in the music industry to be innovative. No, instead of like always being like five years behind the times, like it's Napster. You know? Go with what works. Mm. That's what they do. Yeah, that's that's a that's super interesting to, to figure out to just see where that's going to be in ten, 10 years mm-hmm. because it's never going to re- replace the being on mushrooms at an Alt J concert, <laughs> just like Nothing losing it, watching the sounds come off the stage, like. Oh. Uh, yeah. I felt I felt like my hair was blowing back on like five, four or five grams of mushrooms at an all J concert. You're like that guy in the what was that company? <laughs> I was like, yes, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. So like, Maxwell or whatever. Remember that like company where it's like they would sell tapes and stuff, and there was a guy sitting in the chair and the sounds yeah, was like blowing yeah. his hair oh, back. That's that was me. Yeah. I I even we even found I was I was so high on mushrooms at this all J concert. It was you know the I love their first album. Oh yeah, and the. The there was we we found a hashtag from the All J concert. Some girl, a couple seats behind me, took a photo of me <laughs> saying that this guy was really enjoying the concert. <laughs> <laughs> and my hands in the air like there was rain coming down on me or something. Oh my God. <laughs> You're witnessing God right now. <laughs> Understand? I was watching the sound waves right. come off the stage. <laughs> <laughs> See the vibrations in the air, man. Yeah, yeah. that's the thing. You know, nothing will ever. Uh, nothing will touch beat that. that. Nothing but will you, beat that. Th- it doesn't have to be duality. Like you either have VR or you have live. There's, there's the next both. best thing. Yeah. Yeah. Next... So everyone, everyone is. It's not. It's not just a super exclusive thing. Everyone can do it. Yeah, but, I think you, know? you were pointing out some stuff. It's not really something to be scared of because, like. It can't replace the thing no. like you're saying. Can't. So it, it will only allow for people who couldn't make it that night to still be able to see it. Or maybe someone who wants to test the waters because they're like, I don't know if I really want to fucking. Especially if it turns out to be a thing like where tickets are more expensive when you actually go or and they can be cheaper online. Maybe you can like test out the band and see and then like fucking yeah. make it. Maybe it makes you want to. Like their go, show's boring. It's, I, don't see that. <laughs> I mean, it's probably going to get more expensive to, to see people because it's going to become yeah. like an, an exclusivity thing. Like, I actually mm-hmm. saw them live. 
Oh, okay. oh, you saw the VR? Okay. Well, I saw them. Well, I was right there. now, when I live shows open too. again, I see it because of regulations that I'm sure will be in place. It's just going to be more expensive to see shows. Yeah. You know, it's not like we're all going to go back to being huddled in a small room <laughs> watching a show for a very long time. It's going to be a while. Yeah. yeah. I know. We were watching old concerts the other night, just like drinking some beer and watching some stuff, and it felt like unreal. Like, like there's this one shot of like, all these people just like dancing together and they were like passing a beer through the crowd and it was like that that just seems like crazy now like unbelievable <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, weird yeah yeah there is a shift after, after 2008 there was a shift when the economy crashed and, and it never really went back to the same and i just i feel that's definitely happening now it's just where where is it going to go you know i don't think that you're hearing some of this stuff like they're they're going to want proof of vaccines to fly and all, all this kind of shit. I don't think that's going to happen for, for sure. I, I think there's going to be, it's going to come a point where, you know, if you want to go to something risky and you're a risky kind of person, then go. Mm. Hopefully. Mm-hmm. So I'm, yeah. for it. Yeah. I'm a yeah, risky no kind of person. Yeah. You got the balls. <laughs> <laughs> you got the balls to step on this airline. You're like, uh, I do. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Some janky like single propeller right. plane. Spirit Airlines. <laughs> oh god. Plastic seats. <laughs> right. Right. Man, mate, you know what though? It made me think of you're talking about like having a room, you know, in your house. Like, think I miss the days because I I still have like my high five. Like you have your room set up around like your high five for listening to music. Or like people, like I still have a TV. Like I have a room set up around my high five, my TV, like the entertainment center. Cause if I'm gonna take the time to watch a movie, I wanna make sure. I can see it in really good color, big. I, I, I'm not big on like watching stuff on my laptop, which is which is a norm now. But to see like that mentality come back of like you have a dedicated space to enjoy entertainment, so it'll probably be looking at having like a VR room, mm-hmm. maybe put padding sure. over the walls so you can run around. Yeah, because you like, greatly like you see such a lower quality version of this great piece of art when you do it that my, way. My, our friend who does all of our videography is just a wizard, Justin. We have this running joke of like, you know, I spend all this time making sure the audio fidelity and the mix is really good. He spends all this time making sure the video quality is really good. And we're like, and I was like, oh man, how's it looking? I'm like, I think it doesn't fucking matter. Someone's going to watch it on their phone. Yeah, everyone's going to see it like but this. But like, right. the sad got, reality. Oh, yeah. so because I watched Westworld on my iPad. Or was oh my God, I'm so pissed. <laughs> yeah, you have something as beautiful as like Westworld. It's like cinematic beauty and then you're like, watch it on your phone. You know? I need to watch Westworld. I never oh, watched it. Oh, it's so, so good. good. It's so good. Fucks with your head. Yeah. Good. <sighs> I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that's that's uh, well, it's 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 exciting. I think where we're going right now, it's whatever things changed. None of us expected it. The only thing that's certain in this life is things change. Yeah, but there's there's a I, I, I look at you guys and I see freedom. I dig it. You know, you guys are doing what you want to do. We feel it. It's we're ready. We're ready for whatever comes next. Yeah. 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 We're not afraid, man. Yeah. yeah. So it's like freedom comes in, ha- in owning responsibility. You know, it's not that this like pandemic took anything away from us. It's just like gave us a lot more opportunities. Well, the, <laughs> the, it's not like the fucking music business was great before the <laughs> pandemic. You know? Right. It's like always been fucking crazy. Yeah, totally. so it's like, were you like in it or what? You know, just. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, you exactly. Know, so, Bring so, it. Someone posted this meme at the start of it. It's like, man, you know, it's. I had to cancel all my tours, and uh, I added up the you know the money, 
and it turns out I saved three hundred dollars. Yeah, it wasn't like it was in a great state to begin with, and yeah, I don't know. It's, it's like you can only take life for exactly what it is at this moment, and like, don't be bitter over like things are this way or not this way. It's like, oh, the music industry used to be like this and like that. It's like it it's is what me. it is right now, and we're. And that's make it. Yeah, so it's like fucking quit then. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Who cares? So, so what kind of ways are, are you guys getting cre- creative with stuff right now? Like, what you guys yeah. have some? You guys have done some live stream stuff. You have mm-hmm. which that was awesome out. because yeah. the live stream stuff helped us so much. To be honest, it was like first off, just the the pure like recording part of it. You're like trying to play live and have all this energy and you're recording under a fucking microscope at the same time. So where at a live show, you might get a little rowdy and throwing the guitar around, whatever, you know, and like you can't do that at the live stream because like all of that like noises that the guitar makes, it'll come through, you know, Uh, it doesn't sound as good. So you have to kind of balance this. We're under a microscope and we're trying to make this sound good for people and we're still trying to put on a show. So there was like this little learning curve where our um, first live stream, we, um, we had worked it up to where we were playing well, but then you could tell like when we were like watching it back, we're like, and I saw this with other bands too at the beginning of the whole thing, where you could tell like the first one's a little stiff. You know, you're like everyone's just focusing on trying to sound really good and yeah. stuff. You know, yeah. and like then the um, Dropkick Murphys. Or yeah, the, the first Dropkick Murphys. Yeah, that was Murphys. kind of a funny like live stream because it was like, oh and man, you start learning really how to, to deal with this like dead air in between songs. So we've been learning how to like, uh, you know, string the set together in a way that's entertaining the whole time. And then the other thing that I thought was really powerful is we've had to learn to um, like you don't get the energy from a crowd, so we have to come together to make the energy for people to fucking see, you know? Yeah. And ultimately, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to, like, entertain people, not, like, suck their energy out so we can have a good time on stage. We're here to make people enjoy a moment, you know? So it was really cool to have this almost, like, transformation of perspective on, like, hey, no, like, we need to bring this fucking energy for these fucking people. This is our fucking job bring it to you guys, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And um, so I, I felt like that was like a really powerful thing that we got out of this pandemic, you know, it was just really looking inward and understanding what we're supposed to be doing, I think. That's cool. That's cool. What what kind of stuff do you guys have com- coming out right now? You have, you have a new single out right now? Yeah, we have a new single, uh, Barrel 33, um, in parentheses, Mess Around. Yeah. And um, we just uh, released uh, a live we we decided uh, fuck music videos right now. We're uh, we learned this whole new skill of like you know live streaming and and like you know found this passion in the live performance piece of everything. And mm-hmm. we think that that's for us maybe more valuable to show than like a music video for the song or something. You know, so we um, we've decided for this next few songs that we're gonna just be releasing live performances of them. Um, and so. Uh, we have another one coming out Friday, so by the time this is out, this it will be up for you to check out now. Cool. But um, it uh, is one of our uh, songs that we, our previous song that we released, uh, Tilted Patrons, is coming out, and, um, and we so did we got, it at Sunset Sound. Yeah. In Los Angeles. Awesome. Yeah, Legendary Studio. We were all real excited to do that, and um, it, was, it was cool to be there, like amongst all that history and yeah, like. Yeah, Brandon <laughs> was talking about it. Unreal. Yeah. Where Africa was, yeah. yeah, I think Africa was the first song 
uh, they mixed on that board, right? In so Studio Two. Studio Two, I think. Wow. I thought it was Studio, studio one. one. Studio One, they record in Studio Two, mixed in Studio yeah. One. Yeah, uh-huh. that's right. So that's you, see, right. you see Toto Four, like the gold record on the wall, and I'm just like, you feel all that magic, you know? Oh, yeah. I think You that, hear the drums yeah. echoing in the night, you know? Yeah. Well, it's like, remember, you, like, you had your... Uh, <laughs> Echo in the night. You just start singing it. It's just, it's to bring the rain. There's like a natural delay in there. <laughs> well, like when Brandon set up his drums in the main room, and then all of a sudden, like... You could just tell he started hitting harder. <laughs> it just it's sounds like, so good in their live yeah. room, you know. Like your first, yeah. like Brandon has this fill every time he sits down at the drums, like and he, that he always does. Uh-huh. And I could tell, like as soon as he hit his snare drum, like he like lit up. Like, <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I got to sing at the end of the night. I got to sing in the vocal booth. Um, we were doing this. It's an older song of ours, but we do it like way different now. And so we're like, let's just re-record it here, um, and. So I got to be in the booth. I think um, that was the booth that mm-hmm. that was the one that um, Janis Joplin. That was like her last song that she ever did. Wow! Um, and she was supposed she was doing her Pearl album, and it was like um, that night. I think she went back to her hotel and like OD'd and stuff. And then the next, the engineer the next day, because she didn't show up to her session, they were like, you know, where is she? So they went and found her at the hotel. But that was like the last booth that she recorded in and stuff. So that, and I know. Um, just like so many amazing people have been in there, like Jim Morrison, like um, Robert Plant, like wow. so many amazing singers in there. So Anna was in there, like the energy, like I just yeah. had chills the whole time, and I just was like, I don't want to leave. Like I just want. We only did it like two <laughs> times. I was like, no, oh, I just want to like sing into that mic, and it's just like who is singing singing to this particular mic too? It's you the know? same mic. I don't know. I mean, they've had those mics for a long time and stuff, so it's just like. I don't know who sang into that particular one. Maybe that was the one that she sang into. I don't know. Because wow. we used this, um, the mic we had on Brandon's drums, the, um, what was that one called again? The, the U47? No, not the U47s, the one. Oh, the, like, the RCA? The RCA. Yeah. It's that like was very classic. Like all the mics they have. I mean, just. Like a hundred grand or something. The, like that the, the, the collection of mics that I used to record the drums, like you could buy a house practically because they're worth so much now because they're so old and vintage. <laughs> and, and for me, it was one of those things where it's like all those mics have recorded such famous records from everything from The Doors to Van Halen to Neil Young. You, know, you name it, Rage Against the Machine. And you're, so you just yeah, are like, you're stones. looking at this thing where you're just like this piece of history and you're able to use it. You know, it's not just like you're seeing it mounted on a wall in a museum, but you're actually able to like work and create with it. It's oh, so cool. cool. The energy was, I think, the most. That's so cool. Thing. The first just, part of the oh. day was just us being starstruck by a bunch of like knobs and shivers. And they asked us actually. This is totally random. Like um, that we booked the session, and then they actually um, they do this series called Into the Vault, where they have these artists of today recreate songs that were recorded there back in the day. Um, and so they hit us up like randomly. Um, I guess someone, I think someone like sent them in a video of us. We don't know who it was. And was like, you have to have this band on your show. And, um, so the, in, um, the guy that does all the, um, I think he does all the videography for it or whatever he puts it together. He like hit us up and was like, Hey, would you guys want to be on our show? Um, and then like, I was like, Oh yeah, we just booked a session there. He's like, Oh hell yeah. So it all kind of like worked out. It was really cool. But, um, he, um, gave us like a list of artists that we could do that were like recorded in each room. And so we picked Neil Young and then we gave him, he gave us like a couple options of like, do you want to do this or that? And then we told him we'll do Neil Young. And he's like, oh great. He's like, no band has tried to attempt Neil Young yet. So he's cool. like, we're really excited about it. So we picked like a seven minute song we did. We're going to do um, Don't Let <laughs> well, It Bring You Down. Well actually the song is like, 
three minutes. I thought it maybe. was actually long. It was, no, no, it was it's pretty short. short. Okay, so we made it. Seven <laughs> so. What song is it? Uh, Don't let it bring you down from after the gold rush. Okay, one of my favorite new Don't long okay, new young songs. Yeah. We we're trying um, trying to feel like how Uncle Neil would do it, you know, where it's just like instead of trying to do it exactly like he would, how we can like fuck it up in the best way, just like make it super yeah. just energy and just like well, just turn it into who we are. Yeah, you know, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So we're excited. So that's coming up on the twenty first. So we're gonna do that. Cool. I've been talking about it keeps it got delayed a few times, so I feel like we've talked about it a couple times, like, well, it's like the holidays something. and then they like fired an engineer or something. So I think <laughs> just like, quarantine and COVID and everything's yeah. just kinda messing stuff up. Every, but everything's delayed right now. Yeah. Yeah. We got that going, so we're excited about that. Cool. Um, other than that, I think we're just, we got a Christmas tree. A lot of combined zero Christmas trees, big news. <laughs> we're going to watch Home Alone again. <laughs> yeah, Brandon's never seen Home Alone. We're going to yeah, make him yeah. watch it. Yeah. <laughs> just like, tape my eyes open. <laughs> I'm disappointed. Yeah. yeah. I'm used to it when it comes to movies. Everyone's always disappointed in me. <laughs> I'm always like, yeah, I'm always like, hey, remember this thing? He's like, I don't watch no, I don't watch movies. He doesn't watch Disney movies. He doesn't watch anything. <laughs> I, I'm talking a lot of shit right now about it, but fucking, I I don't see a lot of movies too. I'm always that guy, like yeah, in, a, in the average circle, like that, like watches television and movies. I'm always like, yeah, I always but, end up just watching like docu series on on Netflix. Yeah. Like I'm watching the the one about Cuba right now. Oh, nice, Cuba Libre, super fascinating. Yeah, I'm much more of a fan of TV shows because they're less of an investment, and then documentaries because then I'll learn mm-hmm. something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I feel like I'm learning how Fidel Castro took Cuba. It's a fascinating story. Oh. Like, the fact that that Crazy, worked. fascinating. Like, the mm. fact crazy. that the revolution worked has always been one of my favorite things to study in history because it's crazy that it, it actually happened. Like, 65 guys. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Overthrew an army of 35,000. Damn. Yeah. Fucking 65. Yeah. I, I gotta just, watch that. Just put, What's his, it called? Put, put his flag in it. Yeah. Cuba Libre. Cuba Libre. Yeah, Crazy. Yeah, all of it, and telling the U.S. to basically fuck off. Yep. You know, the whole thing is this thing. It's a fascinating part of history to me. Talk we say with the American Revolution, I, lo- I, I love, yeah, I just love history, because those things where you're like, this shouldn't have happened, and it did. The Blood Moon Howlers are actually starting a revolution. Uh, <laughs> fucking love revolution. <laughs> <laughs> it all started Super here. Super into revolutions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, well, cool. Is there anything else you guys want to add? I don't know, man. Had a good time here today, Yeah, man. thanks for thanks having again us. Thanks for having us. This is awesome. Thank you, you guys. Thanks for coming on. I think we co- covered a lot of yeah. cool stuff. I, felt, I, I, was, I was thinking, should I have I done like a split personality where then I'm like Brandon on Cook Collective and then I interview Brandon on from the Blood Moon Howlers? I think you did sure. a good job kind of splitting it. We were, gonna, yeah. we were talking about that, like he should yeah, have a different we, like uh, voice volume or like I was going to say two cameras, right? <laughs> and like lighting, you know? <laughs> like, it's like, like the Matrix or something. It's like Brandon from Blood Moon Howlers is green and then Cook Collab is blue. Like. Have this out, outfit that's split down the yeah, middle. Yeah, half and half. Two different outfits. <laughs> <laughs> you got like leather jacket on this yeah. one. Yeah, just like, pull out all like the double personality on the other yeah. side. Yeah. <laughs> and just start like making fun of yourself. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, right on, guys. I appreciate it. We appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see you again soon. Yeah. All right. Oh, man. We were in Portland City with a bottle of Louisville whiskey. We'll see this place 12 hours time. You wrap those arms around me. Take my hand. 
Do 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 do